I mean, what's pro football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PML. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. So, we're going team by team. I would be very careful about slinging stone. Am I going to get sued? Are we going legal on this? Yeah, I like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Palzola, Sam Monson. We're live on a Tuesday morning, this time, reviewing the Week 17 action. We pushed it to Tuesday, Sam, in case people forgot. Happy New Year to everybody, all of our listeners. Happy New Year to you as well, Sam. You too, Steve. Thanks. January the 2nd now. It is. Well into the New Year. Well into it. This is the, this is the limit. No more Happy New Year's from me. No, that's it. It's 2024. We're going. We got a lot to cover here today because... Um, it started Saturday night. I mean, it was really Thursday night, but did you cover that? You already did it. Yeah, no, we did Saturday night. We get we got to get right into all the action. We got 15 games to discuss here today. I know it was two days ago, but Lions-Cowboys, Sam. Let's just start. Let's go. Lions-Cowboys. Mm-hmm. We're checking in. We're checking in for duty here. Cowboys 20, Lions 19. A lot of controversy at the end of the game. I do hate just talking about the refs, but this was uh, – Kind of an important play here <laughs> in the game. Crazy back and forth game. Very exciting. Awesome yeah. matchup between two great NFL NFC teams. Yeah, and that's what makes the the refereeing stuff at the end so important. Is the game was good and it was close and it could have gone either way. And in fact, the refs changed the outcome twice. And that's the the element that gets missed in all this. Like everyone's focusing on that two point play, but previously they called tripping on the wrong team randomly and just let it slide. Right. So that effectively would have ended the game for Dallas. That weird thing at the end where Dallas is passing the ball instead of just running and chewing the clock, um, this would have ended the game for them, would have given them a first down, et cetera, et cetera, and they called it the wrong player and backed Dallas up. Whole thing screwed up. This was the same crew who earlier in the season screwed up the end of Green Bay, Kansas City. And in the same way, remember where they had the ridiculous, uh, the sideline late hit out of bounds that you and I argued about, and then they had the no defensive pass interference that was one of the clearest missed penalties you'll ever see and the forward progress right and the same thing it went either way right they screwed it up in both different directions in the space of a couple of minutes they did it again and this one was horrendous i mean there's there's always a good time for me to reference my one of my favorite fresh prince episodes when uh, there's the the clown that like uh takes the courtroom hostage yeah and will has to talk him out of it Mm mm-hmm and he's like, listen, you know, he's like, not everything, not everybody's against you. Nobody's against you. You're just, you suck. Yeah. You're just a bad clown. Uh, for the people who think that the NFL's rigged, because you get the NFL rigged, like hashtag rigged or whatever. Like, how could it be rigged if it's bad for both sides? It's not that it's rigged. They just suck. Yeah. Right? It's not that it's rigged. It's just the refs are just not great. This They're is... just not good. Um, the one difference, though, like the trip, the missed tripping call, I mean, that was horrible. They called it on, um, Hendershot, like the Dallas tight end, yeah. when Aiden Hutchinson tried to trip right. the running back. Um, like that's just like that's like your normal missed call. The last one, the but but it's Taylor like it's, Decker checks in. This is like a bad yeah. procedural miss. It is, but it's not like the miss. It's not like they missed tripping. Like they saw tripping and somehow conspired to believe it happened the other way around that it actually happened. It was weird. But yeah, this is. This is an inexcusably bad mistake um, by the officials. It reminded me a lot earlier in the season, 
uh, in the Liverpool Spurs game in the Premier League, they ran, they, Liverpool scored a goal, they ran it through VAR, VAR checked it and decided that actually um, they, they, they came to the right conclusion but the wrong way and sort of announced it. So the goal didn't stand even though it should have, right? And they checked it and were like, yeah, it's good. And then thought they were checking for it to, they thought they'd given the goal and were checking that it was okay. And in fact, they had disallowed the goal and they were like, yeah, you're good. Correct decision has been made. And then, so it was allowed not to stand. And everyone was like, what the hell is this? This is the most corrupt thing ever. We just saw the line saying it was good and you ruled it out. It was so bad that the Premier League for the first time ever had to release the audio of the discussion to basically prove that no, 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 it's not corruption. It's just basic incompetence. I assumed this is the way the NFL might have to go with this because this is such a bad screw up by the officials. The only way out of this is to like release the audio and prove, hey, the guy just screwed up. Instead, the NFL is taking the general NFL attack, which is this is the Lions fault. They they screwed. They tried to get tricky with the reporting and they sent multiple people to the official. And, you know, really, really, they're reaping what they sowed here. Whereas actually, this is Brad Allen, the ref making a catastrophic screw up of simply identifying which offensive lineman came to him and said, I'm reporting and did the whole belly rub signal thing, which Taylor Decker 100% did. Like you can see that from film. Let's back up and talk about the game just a little bit and then set up the end, okay? Um, As far as the actual football, Dak Prescott to C.D. Lamb. Mm -hmm. Incredible combination in this game. One of the plays of the year, Dak Prescott breaking out of a sack, rolling out, chucking it up, hitting C.D. Lamb in stride for a 92-yarder. And then C.D. Lamb, you know, Continued to dominate. 13 catches for 227. The, the Lions just didn't have an answer for him. They did a good job stopping the run, but Dak to C.D. Lamb was very, very good. Um, Dak hit Brandon Cooks on a few big-time throws as well, including a touchdown. So, like, the, the pass game for Dallas created a ton of plays. It, was a, it, was, it looked like it could be high-scoring early because of that, but it was back and forth, and it was actually not as uh, high-scoring as we anticipated. Remember, we said this was the highest total of the year yeah. coming into the game. And the, the Lions had hit a lull offensively. Um, but the only reason why we had that controversy, Dallas is up by seven with the ability to run out the clock, and they they pass the ball, right? When the, the tripping call happened, after the tripping call, they decide to throw the ball, particularly on second down, they throw the ball. It's incomplete. That one play, that one incompletion, essentially set the Lions up right. for because they only had one timeout left for a minute 50 rather than, say, like a minute to drive down, score a touchdown. It actually would have been game over if, if Dallas ran it for the most yeah. part. Um, so that gave Dallas the opportunity. All of a sudden, Goff and the passing offense kicks into high gear, and they were just moving it down the field, moving it down the field. They score the go-ahead touchdown – or the, uh, I'm sorry, the touchdown to get within one, Amonra St. Brown. And we know Dan Campbell is not crazy. He's not crazy. He's aggressive. He's aggressive, Sam. He's going to go for two. It's a little bit crazy. He's a, he's 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 going to go for two for the win, yeah. Which he does. That's not crazy. That's not crazy. The next one might have been crazy. Yes. So he goes for two for the win. This is where you have tackle eligible. Yeah. They throw it to Taylor Decker. It's good. We'll go back to we'll go back to the mechanics of the penalty in a second. They eventually call the penalty. They move it back to the seven yard line. Now it's kind of crazy. Now it's crazy, right? <laughs> The analytics, which always says go for everything. Yeah. You, have, you have one play to win the game, you go for it. You don't do it from the analytics seven. Analytics says don't be yeah. crazy here. You kick the extra point, you go to overtime. They get away with it because Micah Parsons jumps off sides, which is pretty blatant. Yeah. Then they go for it from the three and a half. 
and it's uh, Jared Goff incomplete to James Mitchell, and the the Cowboys essentially win the game. Yeah, Lions go for fourth downs on 35% of their snaps. They're the only team above 30% this year. So they are, like, hyper-aggressive. They are. Dan Campbell might not be crazy, but he's definitely on the crazy end of the spectrum. They got stopped at, what, the four-yard line earlier in the game, and, you know... Yeah. Got, there were a lot of plays, so, that, you know, a really close game, and but I would say Dallas had the better of it, but, you know, the, the, the end of the game conspired to go against them. Like, remember, C.D. Lamb had everybody's favorite play where he fumbled over the goal line, and instead of scoring, they turn it over, and the Lions get yes. the ball to 20. Yes. So that was a big swing in the game. Um, like, there were some things that broke Detroit's way in, in this game that, that ended up making it down to the, the final wire uh, controversy. I have so many notes that are like football related. Let's talk about the Lions run game, but we literally don't have enough don't time, have time because we have to talk about Yeah, and we gotta do this in a condensed way. So so the rep so the here's the, the controversial play. Mm-hmm. Um, as a f- sixth offensive lineman, you do have to check in with the ref as eligible. Taylor Decker goes up to the ref. He goes up with Panay Sewell. I mean, mm-hmm. on, they, they walk up to – they look like they're about to, to beat him up, to be honest. Panay Sewell <laughs> and Taylor Decker, they look like they're, they might want to now. They go up to Brad Allen, the referee. Taylor Decker saying that he's eligible. 70 is Dan Skipper. He's coming off from the sideline. Yep. Dan Skipper is normally the sixth offensive lineman. Um, and he was about 8 to 10 yards away when Brad Allen is having that conversation with Taylor Decker. Do you want to get into some of – the mechanics of what happened here because a few people caught this on twitter and said we think brad allen is used to saying 70 is eligible he probably does it yeah. eight to ten times a game and he just went into autopilot and did that right instead of actually listening to the guy in front of him who's 68 saying i'm eligible here so yes in order to have an eligible receiver who is essentially an offensive lineman that guy needs to report in as eligible with the officials now you can do that in a couple of different ways you can either walk up to him and say hey dude i'm eligible or you can give that rubbing the belly you know shift the wipe the numbers type of signal um decker ended up doing both like jared goff from the huddle there's video of this sends him to the ref says go report in he goes up with sewell for some reason uh, gives the rub in the belly signal and heads back to the huddle. Dan Skipper, as you said, runs onto the field, is running to the official, not to the huddle, which is part of this. It had, it was a second time, I think, in the game um, coming on as the sixth offensive lineman. And I think you're right. I think um, the ref essentially sees him running on either at the same time as somebody reporting and in, in, in his brain conflates the two and goes, oh, 70's eligible. Anyway, either way, he identifies 70 as eligible. Uh, everybody breaks, goes to the huddle, or goes to the, the play. He then goes and informs the defense that 70 is eligible, which right. is another element here. So what couldn't have happened is you couldn't have just gone, like New, this is an island game, you know, New York theoretically has control over all this. What they couldn't have done is just say, hey, you screwed it up. You got the wrong guy. Give them the two-point play, right? Because you've change the dynamic of the defense by saying 70 is eligible not 68 so right. theoretically you can't, you the, can't just right because you're saying after the play yes you can't just say oh we screwed it up it was actually 68 because that affects how dallas plays right the you can't yes. just say if if i screw if i blew the call we can give it to detroit because they scored right because the way you reported it to the defense potentially changed the way they lined up they 
ignored Taylor Decker, who in their eyes was not an eligible receiver and instead covered the guy that stayed in to block, who theoretically was. Now, as it turned out, by alignment, there was nothing wrong with what the Lions did. People are arguing, oh, he was covered up by a receiver. He wasn't, and he was, wasn't supposed to be. Like, right. as an eligible receiver, he is supposed to be the end man on that, line, uh, that side of the line of scrimmage, and he was. So he that was, tight end that was fine. Unbalanced line. Yes. So the play itself was absolutely fine. The only problem is the ref screwed up which guy reported in as eligible. Now, that's it. That's clearly a refereeing screw up and a terrible, egregious one. What makes it worse is that Dan Campbell said after the game that they prepped the refs for this. Like they explained, they walked him through it. Which there is, is standard procedure. Yes. Yeah. Now, other people have pointed out that. Brad Allen was not in the room when that happened, that the way these conversations typically work pregame, the head ref guy is not there. They send minions, right? The other guys, the side judge or whatever, and they do the prep work and then they just, whatever. I'm not sure it matters. Um, number one, he didn't say it was in that specific meeting. Maybe Dan Campbell like walked him through it on the sideline before the game. Maybe we'll get more clarification on that going forward. Either way, the point being, he had pre-warned the refereeing crew. This is a play we might run. Here's how it works. In addition to, like, the, the right guy reported face-to-face, -face, right? Everything was procedurally correct. Yeah. So the they did about as much as you could do to make sure the refs did not screw this up, other than the fact that they did send other tackles to the ref at the same time, which is a fairly low level of confusion. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. all the guy has to do is determine... Which of the three humans within 20 yards of me is talking to me? That's not that high a bar to clear. Um, but they didn't. They screwed it up. There's also a video of Dan Campbell when he's yelling at the ref, you know, on the sideline for the explanation, repeating over and over again, I told you. Like, that's all <laughs> his brain can register at this point is like, I walked you through this. How did you still screw it up? Um, but the ref, like the official NFL line appears to be, eh, you screwed it up. The, the Brad Allen, the actual official, by the way, his line, his uh, excuse to the pool reporter is essentially, his, his official line is essentially to call the Lions liars. He said that 70 skipper reported in and not Taylor Decker. Every line involved in the situation and Dan Campbell says the exact opposite of that. And what's amazing to me is that whether it's Mike Florio, whether it's Dean Blandino, uh, all of the sort of official connected people in the NFL expect this to just be an end of it. They're like, oh, well, the official called him a liar, so on we move. Next game. That's mind-blowing to me because that, yeah. that sets up a scenario, right? Remember this whole world of, you know, sports gambling and yada, yada. The thing that terrified the NFL for decades is the perception that somebody would do something crooked, right? The NBA has been through their officiating. This sets up a scenario where if a referee was crooked, right? And I'm not saying that was in any way the case in this game, but if one was, now they have set the precedent that all that guy needs to do is to call the opposite team a liar. And it's up to the NFL in like behind the scenes to find it, root it out and resolve it whilst we all just stare on in ignorance thinking this is just incompetence. So if they actually want, you know, some vague signal that this isn't corruption, you have to do better than, I mean, he says the Lions are lying. All of them. You could legit have a 30 for 30 on this one play because mm. we're, we're closing in on 30. We're going we're to hit crazy. 30 minutes on it. I mean, it, it, some of the fallout coming out of this, 
blaming the Lions. That's for not crazy. Being clear as day. So uh, John Perry was also. I mean, he was he was hitting the referee line right away too. He was on ESPN right right after because um, I was I was firing up press conferences, listening to Dan Campbell, trying to listen to Mike McCarthy. But they both said the referee said it was number seventy. And John Perry gets out there and says, "Well, maybe Taylor Decker wasn't clear enough." Right. And I'm not not every TV uh, official backs up the refs. But it's like 80, 90% of the time. There, it's very rare. Terry McCauley, John Perry, it's very rare that they're going to call out, you know, their, their brethren, the, you know, the, the, the referees, the other officials. So on this one, it's like, well, maybe Taylor Decker wasn't clear enough. The one thing I did see, I thought I saw from the video, Brad Allen has Taylor Decker in front of him, Panay Sewell offset in front of him, and coming out from the side is Skipper, 8 to 10 yards away. I swear I saw Brad Allen turn to him and point. He did. Right? Yeah. So he pointed at him. So, again, Brad Allen has a six foot eight, 330-pounder in his face saying, I'm eligible, and then presumably number 70 not making a sign, just running at him. Right. Um, I also saw, like, football zebras may have said that they zoomed in and saw. He they think they I've, saw 70 make the sign. He said that. I've never seen evidence of that, though. So, But, but what we saw. So, again, people are blaming the Lions for sending three linemen at the official right. to, to do a little, um, you know, trickeration, to do a little deception. It doesn't really matter because they're going to go tell the defense, here's the number, and they're going to announce it over the PA. Plus, I've heard a lot of defensive coaches come out and say, here's my hot take. Who cares? Nobody should be eligible. The defense, uh, nobody should have to report. The defense should know by alignment. Because, like at the end of the day, yeah. Skipper was lined up as a tackle. Right. He was. He could not go out as a for uh, for a pass. It, it was impossible. Um, I think there's validity validity to that. Um, the one that was Coach Voss, I believe. Yeah. The one element of this. So apparently, this is. I haven't actually heard the audio, but I'm willing to. There are enough people who said this that I'm willing to take it as face value. They announced Skipper is eligible on the PA, which they do every I heard, time. Yeah, alignment. the Spanish broadcast had that. Or yeah, um, so I'm assuming that's correct. Uh, and people are like, "Well, it's another." Here's where the Lions screwed it up again. The Lions heard him announce the wrong guy, and nobody said anything. Okay, I'm willing to say that that's true. Having said that, I feel like we're focusing on the wrong thing here. The fact that the Lions didn't catch the idiotic mistake is not the thing to focus on. It's the idiotic mistake, which is not the first idiotic mistake, even in this game, and it's not the first idiotic mistake that has determined the outcome of games from this crew this season. So, yes, could the Lions have averted this? Now, you pointed this out, I think, on Twitter. The Lions had no timeouts. So when they announce it on the PA system, they have a very short period of time to make an issue out of it and fix it without delay of game hitting, et cetera. So could they have stopped this and averted it? Maybe. Should they be expected to be monitoring that? Like, every time I report in, I need to listen now to make sure the official, like, heard me and not 52 over here. That's insane. Yeah. So anyway. I don't think they had many uh, – I don't think they had an option. Yeah. Could they have averted it? Maybe. Should you be expected to anticipate that the ref is just hearing the wrong number? I don't think so. But number one – but my main thing is – this is egregious incompetency from the officials, and it's not the first game it's happened this year. It's not the first time it happened in this game. This guy should be – I mean, look, we're fining people $50,000 for, like, lowering their head in the sideline on what is effectively a routine play but for a couple of inches, right? NFL players are getting fined $50,000 for that. This guy, it sounds like there might be no consequences whatsoever. If there are, it's going to be, oh, he's not going to referee a playoff game. 
That is it's a game bullshit. Check. It's a game check or two. That guy should not be refereeing another game again until there is a full investigation about what has happened here. So yeah, that's that, that was the one other thing I wanted to add. Lions having no timeouts. I don't know what their options were. Um, I was joking a few weeks ago about the 1998 coin toss on Thanksgiving Day where Phil Luckett um, just misheard the coin toss. Right. And I put that joke out on Twitter. I'm like, you think the refs are bad now? Back then, they, yeah. they didn't even hear heads or tails right. And now we're at, they didn't hear 68 versus 70 correctly. Um, the other the fallout here was clearly there's, there's playoff implications on the line. What, what was expected to happen was, well, Dallas really can't get the number two seed anyway because Philly plays the Cardinals and the Giants the next two weeks. Clearly, the Eagles are going to win the next two games, and if they do, they win the NFC East. The Lions are probably locked into the three seed either way because the Eagles and Niners are going to lock up one and two. But then the Eagles went and lost to the Cardinals. So now, Dallas, as double-digit favorites... They go to play Washington next week with the NFC East on the line. And if Dallas wins, because of this game, if Dallas wins next week, they get the two seed. Home home, home field all the way through the NFC Championship bumps the Eagles to the five seed. Now, it's the Eagles' fault for losing, yeah. but that could have been the Lions sitting there at the two seed. The only Yeah, the only thing I want to say about that is I want to make it clear. I'm not saying the Lions were screwed because in this game, you know, the tripping call went the other way. And they still had a chance to win it, right? They effectively got the ball back almost to the same spot because of the Michael Parsons penalty. I don't. I'm not saying this particular call screwed the Lions. What I am saying, or the screwed them in the game. I just think the officiating being that incompetent is the thing to focus on. Like, stop blaming the Lions. Rex Ryan went on a big rant. Rex Ryan says a lot of dumb things these days, but he was 100% dead on in this. He's like. Stop focusing on the players. They did nothing wrong. They did exactly what they were supposed to. And Brad Allen made one of the dumbest mistakes anybody has made in football in the last, like, decade. Right. Unless That's the thing to focus the, on. Unless unless Taylor Decker went and stood in front of Brad Allen and didn't say anything. Right. Unless but he was even mute. Even if he did, he, he, did, even yeah, if he, did yeah. he gave the signal. Like, even if he was completely mute, he yeah. did the right thing and gave him the signal. So the, the players did the right thing. The Lions are not to blame for not catching his dumb mistake on a couple of different occasions. This guy made a mistake that changed the outcome of the game, and it's not the first time he's done it this season. That is an unacceptable level of incompetence from NFL officiating, and the response to that appears to be, eh, let's move on to the next game. That is also unacceptable. Like, those things cannot exist in a, in a $10 billion industry. It's okay for them to admit that they were wrong. But apparently it's not. It is. Yeah. It is worse to when we all see it i mean you are now they are now proceeding down a pathway of being more incompetent and more opaque than premier league soccer which is a pretty impressive thing to do they got shamed into releasing the audio because the only alternative explanation was corruption i hate that we have to talk about the refs so much but this was this was important had to cover it we do have to move on to other games we will spend less time yep on some of the other games i promise you that um, but first, as a parent, you've had to learn so many new skills to provide for your family, how to do copious amounts of laundry, meal plan for even the pickiest eater, and now how to protect your family's financial future. Well, Fabric by Gerber Life provides an easy one-stop shop for your family's financial needs, offering high-quality term life insurance policies plus other financial solutions in one easy online hub. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. 
Get your personalized quote in just minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You can go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. So join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. That's meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash PFFNFL. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company, not available in certain states. Presses subject to underwriting and health questions. All right, man, that was Saturday night. That was just Saturday night. Mm-hmm. We should cover the college football playoff at the end of this, too. What a what a day of action yesterday in college football. Mm. But let's get into Sunday at 1. We'll go to the biggest game. It was the biggest game of the week and one of the biggest blowouts. Baltimore Ravens, 56. Miami Dolphins, 19. The Ravens clinched the number one seed in the AFC. And for the second straight week, make an absolute statement against one of the best teams in the NFL. Uh, Ravens moved to 13-3. and three. As I said, number one seed is locked up. They can sit their starters, do whatever they want next week. We won't see them for a few more weeks as far as the full team goes. But Lamar Jackson, for the second straight week, uh, pushing the MVP odds in his favor even more, going 18-21 of 21 for 321 yards and five touchdowns. This was uh, reminiscent of his MVP season in 2019 where he had many of these games where he had you know, 20 passing attempts, 300-plus yards, and a ton of touchdowns. Uh, just a dominant three-phase effort by Baltimore. Special teams was good, too. Just an incredible effort by the Ravens across the board. And the last two weeks are going to win him MVP as well. <laughs> the, they absolutely the statement will, game yeah. against San Francisco and then the statement game against Miami, that will lock up MVP for Lamar Jackson, even though, you know, over the course of the season, I don't know that he has any better of a case than two or three or four other players. So, yeah, I mean, he... This game was insane, though. Like, his best game of the season, probably Baltimore's best game of the season, they absolutely dominated. Again, for the second week in a row, I am most impressed by the fact that another defense had absolutely zero answers for this Baltimore offense. And they were down some players. Like, you know, this is not necessarily – remember, they're, Mark Andrews has been gone for a while. Keaton Mitchell has been gone for a while. It doesn't matter. They are absolutely dominating right now. Nobody has an answer for Lamar Jackson. Nobody has an answer for the – Remember, we drew up that one play uh, against San Francisco where it's like, on the one hand, you've got play earlier where Lamar Jackson just goes Lamar and there's nothing you can do about that and he wins. And then you got later, you got Todd Munkin dialing up something that's amazing. Like, this was the same thing. They had a, uh, you know, walk-in Isaiah Likely touchdown where it's like everything's on one side of the field. We got a little leak to the tight end going left. Literally walks in. He actually stopped, slowed down, and walked over the line. Like... (laughs) That's what's happening. You've got this undefendable Lamar Jackson level of play and Todd Munkin dialing up crazy plays that are scheming people wide open as well. And those two things are slamming together and no defense can come anywhere close to stopping it. Yeah, I mean, to, to, so your point about Lamar is going to like lock up the MVP over the last two weeks. There was a lot of um, analytically driven people this past week being like, man, we've never seen somebody with this level of production. I mean, he like Lamar's only 10th in the league in passing touchdowns or whatever it is. He's got fewer passing touchdowns than Russell Wilson, even after his five this week. Like, it would be one of the, you know, lower production type of MVP cases that you make, and then he comes out and puts this game together. But what you're... So I think there's two narratives that are interesting here. The idea that Lamar Jackson was MVP in 2019 and awesome, and then at his playmakers were still not great then, never really have been and as soon as he got a few you know good guys together they would get hurt whatever it was and then Lamar got hurt the last two years 
And then everybody soured on Greg Roman, right? Greg Roman has had this interesting career as offensive coordinator where he was like the guy who got Colin Kaepernick going, the guy who gets Lamar Jackson going, but there was a cap Mm. to that offense. And so the narrative was, what if Lamar had playmakers and what if he didn't have this cap set by Greg Roman? He set the good foundation. We're going to run Lamar. We're going to build everything around that. We'll create some open throws, Lamar's dynamic ability. So now you have Todd Monken coming in, and you have first-rounder Zay Flowers. Flowers has become a dynamic weapon. He's growing on me more and more every week here, Sam. Um, You have OBJ making that incredible back-shoulder catch. You have Rashad Bateman, healthy. And even though Mark Andrews isn't there, Isaiah likely, you know, like, he he could be a high-end tight end, you know, if he had the opportunities, and now he does. So now you have better playmakers, good play calling, on top of the foundation that's been set, which is, Lamar Jackson, as a design runner, as a scrambler, as a pocket passer, ha- passer, has all these different ways to beat you. And I think we're starting to see that all come together these last few weeks. I don't. It's been it's been there in pockets throughout the whole season, right? It's been there in pockets, but this has been just dominant over the last two weeks. What Baltimore's offense has been able to do, and as you said, against good defenses that haven't had answers. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- their offense has been really impressive. Um, and then the other side of the ball. They did this defensive effort without Kyle Hamilton, who yeah. did miss the game, who was injured. And, you know, that potentially you would have th- thought heading into this game was a real uh, loss to them. Hamilton has been so instrumental in everything they do on defense. Miami, we know, loves to attack the middle of the field. And it didn't matter at all. Um, now, this game, I think, got away from Miami in the first half. And then the second half was just all Baltimore. But. Tyreek Hill has that drop in the end zone. That's yep. a four-point mistake. They have to kick the field goal right after that. You know, that that would that was going to put them up a touchdown, right? They were tied and going in. They got the up second. seven nothing. I think it was 10-7 Baltimore when he dropped it. Okay. 14-10. So, yeah. That would have put the them ahead. That was right. days ago. Right. But it, yeah, it would have put them ahead. And then before the half is when it really swung away from them. Um, Miami tries to get in some plays before the two-minute warning. They try and like rush instead, turnover. Ravens get a touchdown. Isaiah Likely, by the way, in that play, snags it one-handed. And it was one of those one-handed plays where at no point does his second hand ever move near the ball. He just snagged it (laughs) left-handed and then one-handed tucked it in and just kept running. This hand never went near the football. Like, you rarely see that. Anyway, pretty fun. So just before that, like, Miami's trying to get back in the game, having trying to recover from that screw-up they had earlier, the four-point mistake. And instead, turnover Baltimore adds another one. And from that point on, the game basically never got near Miami again. From a, so the, the, I want to talk about the play you were talk, that you referenced right before the two-minute warning. From a Miami standpoint, this felt a lot like the Buffalo game way back, was it week three in Buffalo, where it was like back and forth early, back and forth. It looked like it's going to be a shootout. And then Buffalo, who, who still had Matt Milano at the time, and the defense was really playing well. They're coming back around now. The defense was really playing well, and they just cracked down. Like, they just made life difficult for Miami. That play, 201 left, so it's right before the two-minute warning. Miami's going to sneak a play in. If You've seen some of, like, the heat maps that, are, that go around on Twitter and everything that show where Miami throws the ball. Mm. They have this pocket of passes right inside the numbers, right? That 10 to 15-yard range, that little little in-cut behind the linebackers. And it was their, their, very, their very first downfield pass or their very first non-screen in this pass was that little in-cut to Tyree Kill. And the Ravens just read it. I mean, it was Roquan Smith, incredible play. He just jumped it. I always used to joke about defenses covering the heat maps. I mean, there is this element of Baltimore did a really nice job of compressing the middle of the field and saying, like, Miami's 
they'll they'll throw that ball eight to ten times a game. Right. That same exact route to that same exact spot. And it was like Roquan just said, I'm just going to take this away. And he, and he makes the one-handed catch and picks it off. It was an absolute game changer, but just a great job by the Ravens taking away what Miami likes to do over and over again and does well. And they're really hustling that play because the previous play went off at 220. So 20 yeah. seconds between that play, 19 seconds between that play and the last one. When you think about it, like how quickly, you know, that's that's legitimate hurry up. That's the kind of like, you know, end of game, 10 seconds on the clock. Like we got to get up and spike it type of time scale. That's the sort of pace they were running that at to try and get that last play before the two minute warning. And instead it ends up being the reason you turn the ball over instead. Uh, Baltimore ends up getting the score instead before the half, and they get they don't only get the ball to start the second half, but they run an eighty yard kick back on the at the start of the second half as well. So three phases, baby. Everything. It's one of those. This is why that like either side of halftime is so important in games, and all of it went against Miami in this game. And, and that hurry up just before the two minute warning. A lot of teams will do that and just try to draw you off sides. They're like, we're not going to run a play, but right. we'll just run up and just you know try to steal an extra free five yards. They were trying to keep the tempo and steal a play and it ended up going back against them so again i think baltimore did a fantastic job defensively um, special teams contributed lamar jackson in the offense was unstoppable um, the zay flowers 75 yard or two they took a little page out of miami's book they used that um you know motion had him on the run running vertically uh, complete coverage bust by miami get the ball into zay flowers hands in space and he turns it into the touchdown um just an incredible game by Baltimore across the board and I and I I do wonder how much what we talked about in the preview show I think was two things Baltimore got to see this offense the previous week against San Francisco maybe had a little familiar familiarity with it and Baltimore being uniquely uniquely qualified with athletic linebackers like Roquan Smith and Patrick Queen and built through the middle to be able to take away some of those middle of the field passes because after that slow start much like the Buffalo game they started to take away what the Dolphins did well. Tua had another um, overthrow that got tipped up for another interception. Um, they just took away what Miami liked to do well over the middle of the field. Baltimore was so prepared for that play just before the two-minute warning, by the way, that all Roquan Smith did, I think, was take it away from a pass breakup. Like, the guy behind the corner that was on Tyreek Hill, I think, was going to break that up, even if Roquan Smith hadn't managed to snag it out of the air. One-handed, by the way. It was a pretty impressive one-handed snag himself. Um but like multiple players were all over that play by the Miami Dolphins. So that, whether it's, you know, San Francisco gave them a taste the week before or whether it's simply they were that prepared for this Miami offense, they they were really prepared for that play, knew it was coming. Miami went to what they liked to do. They went to, they were so confident that they could get it off before the two-minute warning, and instead Baltimore was just all over it, and that was a huge swing. So coming out of this, Baltimore, as I said, number one seed, they're going to play – Pittsburgh next week they're the first game next week Saturday afternoon 4 30 they can sit their starters they have that beautiful decision to make do we screw our division rival Steelers or do we sit and rest um, it is you know a lot of time off with that bye I do wonder they had the bye back in 2019 and came out and lost against Tennessee I don't remember if they sat their starters back then but I do wonder how they're gonna react to that two more things coming out of this game though number one Scorigami great never been a 50 whatever it was 56 19 game before you saw history yeah number two uh the miami dolphins lost bradley chubb late in the game when they had yeah. their starters in buried going nowhere you know it's a big loss it is it's having tough. already lost jalen phillips earlier in the year right you know I, bradley chubb is not 
one of the best pass rushes in the NFL, but his importance becomes magnified when you've already lost one of your most important or your best pass rusher, I would say. And to have him in that late in the game when clearly it's a no-hope situation, I mean, there's a reason most teams don't do that, and this is that reason. He's been having a fantastic season. I, I, I do remind people, too, you, you can't literally sit every starter. Right, somebody's got to play. he's one of your high-end yeah. starters. Right. And so, yeah, and Mike McDaniel said, yeah, that looks pretty dumb, basically. Paraphrasing, of course. Yeah, ACL injury, they knew, you know, right away pretty uh, – they must have had the MRI already and confirmed it, but uh, – yeah, that that's not great. Jalen Waddle did miss the game. We didn't. I don't think we knew that at the time when we previewed it. Uh, maybe he's really the key to that offense. So um, <laughs> he's, Miami. Maybe he's MVP. Um, so Sunday night football is going to be Dolphins Bills. Winner gets the AFC East crown, and the Dolphin in the number two seed. Um, that's going to be Sunday night football. It's in Miami. It's going to be a great game, which takes us to Bills Patriots. Uh, Bills win 27 to 21. They put themselves in position now to play for the AFC East crown, but there mm. is also a world where Buffalo might not make the playoffs. If they lose <laughs> in Miami, they can win the division and not make the playoffs in yes. the final week of the season. They could be the it's number two impressive. or outside the playoffs. Um, but Buffalo, um, weird game here. They, they turned the Patriots over like four times in 10 plays or something ridiculous. I mean, they, they kept turning the ball over. Josh Allen started two for, 11 or 12 or whatever i don't know man it was you you usually see that like sometimes that dynamic happens where a team can you know win the division or not make the playoffs but it's usually when they have like a seven and nine record you know right right the bills can do that and they're 10 and six right now right it's crazy if they're 10 and seven if they lose the bills have they, they need help one of the teams they need help from though is the ravens they, right you know they would need the ravens to beat pittsburgh and we don't know if the ravens are going to start their starters we also know that the ravens are you know preseason geniuses mm. and so their backups generally play well right yeah it's like the preseason ravens against the regular season steelers you know something's something's got the same <laughs> we'll, we'll preview that though in two days on thursday but buffalo wins 27 to 21 bailey zappy finishes with three interceptions for the patriots i don't know if any of them were on him to be honest you've got Devonte parker running a terrible slant you have Jalen Rager running a go, just not even looking for the ball, and Zappy's throwing it behind him. And then there's a batted pass where Ed Oliver makes an incredible diving one-handed pick. Um, just being honest here, I don't think any of those were actually on Bailey Zappy. Great plays by the Bills, though, um, including one of them being a, a pick six by Rasul Douglas on that miscommunication on the pass to Jalen Rager, who has made a career of just running the wrong route and uh, forcing – creating interceptions for his QBs. I don't know how Jalen Rager is that bad at football. Yeah. Um, I would never throw him up any a, a sort pass of – any ever again. I mean, he ran a post. I would never run anything because he's supposed to run a five-yard hitch yeah. against off, he should off be, coverage. I would never throw anything in, in which he has an option. Right. He should be used strictly as a decoy. Like you're there only to yeah. show a route to the defense to make yeah. them cover something. I think he could probably run an over route, but I do think he screwed Cousins out of an interception on an over route last year too. Stop, I used to stop I used, running. I used to play pickup soccer with somebody, and we would debate whether it was whether you would prefer to have this player on your team or the open space that an that that one man less would give you, right? And the conclusion was you would rather have the empty space because the problem wasn't that he was just so bad that you didn't want him playing, but he would he would do he would make the right run, and then you would pass him the ball because he made the right run into the right space, and then screw it up. So you're like, it's worse 
than not having that option because at least you know you don't have that option. The problem is when he makes the run, you're suckered every time into going, well, let's pass him the ball. What's the worst that could happen? And then you lose it immediately. So that, I think, is a question for Jalen Rager. Would you rather have on the field Jalen Rager or 10 men on, on offense every play? <sighs> it's a toss-up, man. Yeah. Um, the Patriots also had an opening kickoff touchdown in this game, which is right. the only reason it was close for uh, the majority of it. Um, yeah, I, uh, New England kept turning it over. Buffalo, other than the pick six, they just couldn't capitalize. They kept settling for field goals. That's why it was close. Yeah, um, New England's offense did actually come to life a little bit and, and, and did make it close. Um, the defense in New England has continued to play really, really well. I mean, just with, with no-name type of players. You know, like I, I said this before, when people talk about what Belichick's done and everything, and Belichick's lost his fastball, and Belichick is, um, you know, the GM has let down the coach or whatever, like there's a lot of truth in that. Uh, but he's like still uncovering the same type of gems on defense, the Jelani Tavais of the world. Like he's still unlocking these guys that he did during the Super Bowl era of New England. It just doesn't matter because the offense has just been so horrendous. So they've done a really nice job kind of keeping it together. This is probably the best job they've done against Josh Allen other than the 60-mile-an-hour wind game. And this is the best – because Josh Allen has owned this New England defense. Did it in the playoffs a couple years ago in almost every big game. Allen was all over the place in this mm -hmm. one early on. He did start making some big plays. Dalton Kincaid hit him with a nice pass for 51 yards. Um, Allen also kept trying to play rugby. God, that was a beautiful offload out of the tackle. But he tried to do it later, and he almost – Turn like, dude. Look, we're getting ready for. I, we need to see Josh Allen in the playoffs. Do you remember that? We need it. one of his his first playoff game against Houston. He did he did that like falling yeah. over upside down, offloaded behind his back to a tight end that wasn't even there. Like it was one of the craziest. You say offload, I say fumbled. Whatever, potato, <laughs> potato. It's one of the craziest like lateral attempts I've ever seen in my life. Was what he did. This was like that. I mean, he was. He had three guys dragging him down, and instead was like, "I can get this away to the guy right next to me," and did. And I think they got a first down out of that play, right? But they got one, a first down on that one. Then there's this other one where he's like slowly going to the ground, going to the ground. Like I, I, I just, I could, I could see it in his brain. He's like, I'm, I mean, I'm getting tackled. There's two people on me. Yeah. Can I maneuver the ball just uh -huh. enough to get it? Oh, it's on the ground. Like, he's – in that game, he was attempting offloads slash laterals that were crazy enough that, that they would be – there were rugby players that would say that's, that's too much. Like, that's too risky, you know? Like, there's a debate in rugby about how much you want to offload because – if you don't get it right, you turn the ball over. And it's a much smaller deal in rugby than it is in football. Yeah. But still, there would be rugby players saying, look, that one is too much. No, nah, can't do that. That's ridiculous. Never going to get that successful. It's not worth it. Take, you know, take the contact. Take it to ground. Get the ball back. And instead, Josh Allen's out here going, I can make it work. And, you know, he did 50-50. One, one, one of the two. Oh, man. I mean, it was uh, – I mean, it's always entertaining. So, anyway, the um – What's at stake here? As I mentioned, Buffalo playing for the number two seed and then would need some help if they lose in Miami, which has always been a, you know, a trouble spot for a lot of AFC East teams going down there. And then for New England, they're in this world where um, they might have to choose between uh, losing and having a chance at QB2 mm. and uh, beating the Jets next week, who, you know, Bill Belichick loves beating the Jets, right? So they've got this uh, – we'll preview it again on Thursday. But New England's in this world where right now they're the number three 
overall pick, but strength of schedule. It's like so tight between them and Washington and Arizona. Strength of strength yeah. of schedule is going to determine who picks it two, three, and four if they all have the same record. Because Arizona really goes and wins randomly. Because Arizona um, went and beat Philadelphia. Razul Douglas with a great game. That's yes. proving to be a really important pickup for Buffalo, who's secondary for the second year in a row has been just wrecked over the course of the season. They go and trade for um, Razul Douglas from the Green Bay Packers, who. You know, you can argue they got rid of him because they kind of thought their season was over. <laughs> Instead, the Packers looked like they might go to the playoffs, and Razul Douglas is going to help Buffalo to the playoffs as well. Like, wild dynamic. All right, got anything else in this game? Nope. I got no more use for this game. What's the game that you have the fewest notes for? Well, might be probably – I mean, that's not even Jacksonville. <laughs> oh, we got – we got, we got things to talk about. It's there. all the AFC South games. Really? You want to knock those out? Sure. I have uh, I have one game with one line note in it. Which one? Uh, San Francisco Washington. Oh yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's the one I have the fewest notes for. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. See, we'll do that in a minute though. Well, let's go. Let's go through the AFC South. You ready? Yeah. Houston Texans twenty six, Tennessee Titans three. Texans move to nine and seven. Titans fall to five and eleven. Um, with this win, the Texans are playing for a playoff spot next week against the Indianapolis Colts. They can either get in as a wild card or as a division winner, depending on what happens with Jacksonville. C.J. Stroud makes his return, 24 of 32 for 213 touchdown. And uh, Will Levis, I was so excited for Stroud Levis won, but Levis gets gets uh, sacked and injured, only last six or seven dropbacks. And uh, Ryan Tannehill comes in, actually plays pretty well, but, man, the Titans' offensive line just had no chance against Houston. Yeah. Uh, Levis hurts his foot in that sack, strip sack thing. I think he's been hurt for four straight straight games. Like, he might have more injuries than Trevor Lawrence right now. The way he plays, it's not hard to see why. But still, uh, this one was a weird one in terms of it didn't – I mean, I didn't see an obvious reason his foot would be hurt at the end of that play. But anyway, so so be it. Um, Yes, they – Tannehill comes in. Ultimately, it's back to the story that's been there for the Titans all season long. Like, Houston's defensive pass rush was amazing, in large part because Tennessee's offensive line was a complete train wreck. I mean, whether it was Andre Dillard or Jalen Duncan at left tackle, neither one of those guys gave them a chance, and they got absolutely wrecked. I mean, Will Anderson had a great game. Derek Barnett, since coming to Tennessee, has become Tennessee Derek Barnett. Like Vindicated. Right. The guy in college that had incredible 90-plus pass rushing grades was amazing, had more like bend around the edge than Miles Garrett did at that point in his career. And Miles Garrett has become Defensive Player of the Year, best pass rusher in the NFL kind of player. And Derek Barnett has effectively been a bust up until that point. He's got a 90 grade, I think, since he arrived in, in Tennessee. It's been a great pickup. I mean, people don't – you and I know the history of Barnett because we've been sitting here Sorry, talking. Sorry, in, in Houston. Yeah. I'm, you and I know his history because we started grading college you know, 10 years ago. I mean, and he looked at, like a man as a freshman in the SEC and was as productive as Miles Garrett in the SEC, but without the freaky athleticism that Miles Garrett right. has. And then it was like production-wise. But he did have translate. the bend. Like that was yes. the one thing that he had, that crazy ability to sort of bend and lean over laterally and get around the edge in an incredibly tight arc. Yeah, PFF grades in the last four games for Barnett. So the Eagles just, you know, got rid of Barnett. He he yeah. basically been a he was a he was like a mediocre starter and a rotational player as part who of the, for done, the Eagles. Yeah, for he you. would never had a pass rushing grade above sixty nine. Yes. and that was as a rookie, right? 
This season in Philadelphia, his pass rushing grade is 53.3. Since coming to Houston, it's been 88, and his overall grade is 90. Now, as we, it depends on who you play. That that's a factor. He's played he's played the Titans twice. Yeah, that'll help. Played the Jets. He played the Browns with their, you know, fifth, fourth and fifth string tackles. That matters. But Barnett is playing extremely well and deserves a ton of credit. Yeah, PFF grades of 83, 87, 80, and 89 over his last four weeks with the Texans. A lot of that was replacing Will Anderson or taking Will Anderson snaps while he was hurt and now being a part of that he, Texans rotation. He has 17, 17 pressures this season, and all of them have come from his time as a Houston Texan. He got zero with the Eagles. None. Amazing stats. Derek Barnett. So he deserves a shout-out. Um, as we mentioned, like Jalen Duncan looked like a, an overwhelmed prospect at Maryland mm-hmm. last year when he had to go up against Penn State and Ohio State and kind of looks the same at the NFL level. So Ryan Tannehill ends up with, ends up with pretty good stats, but anytime Tennessee tried to get something going, yeah, I mean, Texans' pass rush was just dominant. Yeah, Jalen Duncan, you know, six-round rookie that was raw, you know, coming into the league. I, I don't want to focus on him too much, but like Andre Dillard, a former first-round pick who had been effectively a bust for the Eagles. Tennessee goes and gives him money and makes him a priority signing to come in and fix left tackle. I mean, he wasn't viable in this game. Like, he was giving the quarterback, whichever one it was, absolutely no chance of functioning. That's a catastrophic personnel mistake. Meanwhile, on the other side, Texans got uh, a pa- had a pass-blocking grade of 89.1. No QB hits allowed. And guys like Juice Scruggs and Michael Dieter and Charlie Heck playing a much better game this week than he did previously. So, again, the Texans did a nice job up front. And um, after the strip sack for a touchdown, this was pretty much over. Texans ran away with it. So 26-3, to Texans win. I get nothing else on this game other than Houston. Um, intriguing team to get into the playoffs because they, their defense has shown flashes like this where they could rush the passer. They've got some pretty good talent on the back end when they're healthy. Can they get tanked um, and plus with CJ Straff, if they get the playoffs? I don't know. I doubt it. I'm doubting it. Yeah. Um, but but he, he, I saw the only reason I asked that is because they gave, he was doing the sort of pregame, you know, lead them out onto the field thing, and like he broke his leg. And and he's he, running. He's out. running out, like bouncing oh, around, know. looking fine. Yeah. You know, like if you hadn't been told this guy's got a broken leg, you wouldn't have known it from that pregame intro thing. Text Bobby, see what he says. Yeah. Can we get tanked to help back? All right, Texans moved to 9-7 and seven with the win, 26-3 to three over the Titans. Um, the other key game here, or two of the other, well, let's go to the next key game. Indianapolis Colts 23, Las Vegas Raiders 20. Colts also moved to 9-7, and seven, so again, they're going to face the Texans next week with a uh, playoff spot potentially on the line, division potentially on the line. Uh, they get Michael Pittman back. Offense looks a lot better, and um, they slow down the very hot Las Vegas Raiders in this one. Yeah, they did. Um, and that was like the, – the fact that the Colts' um, defense, I think, has been such an important part of this team has kind of been talked about – has been flying under the radar a little bit this season. Like their defensive line has come to play in a lot of games this year. Uh, this game, DeForest Buckner made a, a bunch of big plays, but – when you look at the, the group that they have there, DeForest Buckner, Samson Ebicom, uh, Grover Stewart has made some plays. Like, it's not the kind of collection that you would say should be determining the outcome of games, and yet they've done it several times this season. Yeah, and it's a, it's a, it's a challenge because they're rushing four so often, right? They're not, they're not sending extra rushers again. It's, it's a, it's a four-man rush, and, you know, by design, you're gonna, it's going to be 
like from like a PFF grading standpoint, it's harder to win, right? When you're just right. rushing four the entire time, there's more pressure on the front four. That's how a lot of defensive coordinators want to operate is is trusting them, and they've they've done a nice job with that. Um, there's a key, couple key big passes that set the Colts up early, hitting Josh Downs, yep. um, open down the field, and then a fourth and one call that got uh, Alec Pierce open for a 51-yarder, a 58-yarder. All Alec Pierce does is catch 50-yard bombs. 50-yard bombs. And I don't mean that in a good way. I mean, the, the Colts offense, they do look much different when Michael Pittman's out there. I mean, I, I, yeah. use, I use the phrase like high-end possession receiver as a certainly not a knock. The Michael Thomas type, even like a Chris Carter back in the day, like they're they're the move your move the chains guy. That's always been that's been Pittman. And when you combine that with maybe Pierce once or twice a game, Josh Downs working out of the slot, it's it's a much better passing attack when you have your go to guy like I mean, Michael Pittman. He makes it functional. It's it's like Green Bay when they only had Devontae Adams, right? Like it's it's still not enough. You still want more than that. You know, there was a reason everybody was clamoring for a second receiver opposite Devontae Adams for years, but Devontae Adams makes it work and it's still pretty good when he's there and then when you take him out of it it's like what is this this is one of the worst receiving rooms in the NFL Michael Pittman obviously isn't Devontae Adams and he's not as good and he's a very different type of player but it's the same dynamic if he's not there you look at the roster or the receiving core and you're like this can't work there's nobody that can win uh certainly not consistently when they're the number one option and then you put him in there and it's like okay we would still like you know if if we upgraded on Alec Pierce say opposite Michael Pittman but this works now that's that's what happens when he's there like when he's not there it's this it's non-functional and then when he's there you know we could still like to improve this thing but it works the one other matchup that we highlighted before the game was right tackle Braden Smith coming back and the Raiders pass rush just the previous week had Patrick Mahomes staring at the rush Malcolm Coons Max Crosby them you know moving Crosby around all the different things that the Raiders did led to Patrick Mahomes having the worst game of his career but in this one you and I have talked about like the subtle ways that the Colts have won you've mentioned hey their D-line has done some nice things this year we've talked about their offensive line a lot left tackle Bernard Ryman and then again Braden Smith coming back into the lineup playing right tackle 80 pass block grade for the Colts against this Raiders pass rush that had had been playing really well the last few weeks yeah, and, and Braden Smith, I saw reported, it, like, he's not 100%. I mean, somebody, I forget who it was, a Colts reporter basically said that he, at the end of the game, <laughs> goes over, and I forget if it was in the tunnel or somewhere on the way, you know, to the, the locker room, is basically doubled over in pain that he's, he's still, whatever he's still dealing with is bad enough that, like, he's just getting through it, and yet is out there helping the team to a pretty important degree against one of the best pass rushers in the NFL. All right, so the Colts as of right now are the seven seed. Um, Texans are the eight seed, but again, they're gonna they're gonna play playoff implications. We'll break the whole thing down on Thursday. Uh, you know, my favorite show of the year, where I just read every playoff scenario. It's beautiful. Everybody it's loves it. Um, Devontae Adams with a huge game, first for a while, and this is one of the best Aiden O'Connell performances. I mean, I guess ever, given that he's not played that much, but he played pretty well and you know got them close on the comeback I mean Devontae Adams with an incredible catch in the end zone to like pin the ball pin the ball basically in a bicep curl and just refuse to allow it to be ripped out on the way to the ground I love those catches um and and O'Connell didn't make any like this was a game that if the Raiders were good enough they would have won with the performance they got from Aiden O'Connell and yet you know another uh, enough other things went against them that they they weren't like 
the defense, which has been probably the most important part of this team all the way through the season, actually didn't have a great game, and that's why the Colts were, were able to win. Yeah, I feel like we've had this conversation about O'Connell. His his grades have just been every other week. Have If you just take his, uh, what is it? He's an even week guy. Even week guy. No, no, this is week 17. Sorry, there was a buy in there. Um, He's but, an odd week guy. Oh, no, because it's... No, it's because the buy screwed no, it up. It's, it's just, just every work. other game. It's just every other game. Yeah. Um, but his PFF grades go 60, 85, 56, 79, 58, 75. Every other week, O'Connell's been pretty good. Didn't complete a pass after the first quarter last week against the Chiefs. Didn't need to. And uh, didn't need to. Um, but was much better in this game against the Colts. Good here? Yep. Get no more use for this game. And then the last AFC South game, Jacksonville Jaguars, 26. Carolina Panthers, 0. Jags also moved to 9-7. and seven. They've got the tiebreakers, so they control their own destiny as far as winning the South. If they win next week against the Tennessee Titans, Jags will win the AFC South and took care of business against the Panthers here in the battle of 1995 expansion teams. And I didn't mention it on the preview show, but as I thought about it, I don't know why these teams didn't wear their 95 throwbacks. I also don't know why they're not just wearing <laughs> their 95 jerseys generally, especially the Jags. Yeah. little upset about it, but um, missed opportunity there by both teams. Mm. By the NFL. Yeah. By Nike. By anyone. Everybody. Yes. I think, I mean, I can't say there are no throwbacks that are worse than the current ones because, you know, there were those Denver weird brown things. There was that Eagles Whatever sky the, blue and yellow whatever the Packers wear yeah so there are bad throwbacks out there but most of them are throwing back to a better uniform than the current version just go back like we can we can accept there were what we termed progress and development and improvement at the time were in fact mistakes and we can just go back to what worked previously like the Vikings have effectively done that right they had those hideous Adrian Peterson era things and acknowledge that was a mistake we erred, we went in a bad direction, and we've been trying to get back to those like late 90s jerseys for a while now. Like, Just go back to them. They were better. Use them again. Just dust off the plans. Just do it. You know, It was Reebok or wherever back there. I'm sure they've got some like templates you could steal. And just run them again. Anyway. That's my biggest note. I put it in That's all it. caps. Should have worn throwbacks. What about David Tepper? <laughs> um, well, let's talk about the game first, and we'll talk about your billionaire friend. Okay. Here. Cool. Uh, the Carolina Panthers had just four net passing yards in the first half. Didn't mm. get much better after that. Another rough game for Bryce Young, but at the same time, every time he made a good pass, it was DJ Chark probably dropping it or just, you know, screwing it up. Yeah. DJ Chark had three straight plays where he had, like, it was like a drop, one that hit the turf as he was going to the ground, and then one where he pushed off, got away with offensive pass interference, and didn't get his hands to the ball <laughs> in time to catch it, basically. Um, so that kind of sums things up for Carolina. Pass rush once again for um, – it wasn't that Bryce Young was under a ton of heat, but he got sacked, what, six times was a bunch. Yeah. Um, Josh Allen, three sacks. Trayvon Walker had two. One of them tracking down little Bryce Young in little pursuit. Little Bryce Young. Um, Jags defense did a, did a really nice job. And uh, once like, Travis Etienne broke off a, 60, a really nice 62-yard touchdown, and once he got that, it was, it was pretty much over for the Panthers. Yeah, uh, Josh Allen with a nice game. I mean, Bryce Young was under pressure 41% of the time, but he was sacked six out of 16 pressure dropbacks. I mean, basically every time they got heat on him, they got, they got a sack out of it. Um, they did a really good job of not just finishing those plays, but making sure Bryce Young couldn't get out of there and, and ad-lib. He's, he's uh, a quarterback that's in that interesting zone of, like, you're still athletic enough to make some plays, 
you know, at the NFL level, but you're not really athletic enough to go like full Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen or, you know, you don't have that overwhelming level of whether it's physicality, speed, combination of all of it that you can just do what you like back there, but you're just athletic enough to be able to make a bunch of good plays if you sort of figure out how to harness it. Like he's in the sort of Patrick Mahomes zone of athleticism. Um, and yet, obviously, Mahomes has that mastered. Like, he's incredible at it. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why he's, like, the best quarterback in the NFL. Bryce Young right now just doesn't seem to have a feel for when he can deploy the athleticism, when he has to eat it and get rid of the ball and just accept a slightly negative play without turning it into a hugely negative play. Uh, for the Jags, C.J. Beathard got the start, of course, in place of Trevor Lawrence. Played a solid game, uh, his best throw, downfield 48-yard pass to Jamal Agnew, who uh, eventually broke his leg mm. and is now out for the season. Agnew had been that guy, um, like when you when you look up target rate when he's on the field, it's like Agnew's the leader every year if you take off the uh, filters because the Jags are always manufacturing touches for Jamal Agnew. Um, sometimes they're good, sometimes they're not. Um, he would have been a nice weapon, though, for the Jags down the stretch when they're getting – just inconsistent play from their receivers in offensive line this year might be a tough loss for Jacksonville because they were, you know, again, they've spent years manufacturing stuff for him. And But in a game like this, flips the field for a 48-yarder. Agnew's always had that potential end around, screens, downfield passes. Could be a tough loss for the Jags. Jacksonville will most likely have Trevor Lawrence back next week, again, facing the Titans with the AFC South on the line. And David Tepper threw a drink at a fan. <laughs> he did. Panthers owner. That he was did. the biggest story. Yeah. Out of this. Yeah, there's a video out there of David Tepper just walking to the front of his luxury box and firing a drink at Jacksonville fans right in front of him and then storming back in, in peak. Uh, I'm sure the fan deserved it. Well, this is the thing. I'm right? kidding. I'm kidding. So I do have a degree of sympathy for the idea that there is a level of provocation coming from fans that I'm okay with reacting to, right? I am team run our test slash Eric Cantona. There are things that can be thrown at people verbally from a crowd that I think cross a line. And I think we've normalized the idea that you are safe just because you're part of the herd. To hell with that. If you say something that crosses the line, Eric Cantona should be absolutely within his rights to drop kick you in the face, right? I'm okay with that. So there is a, there is an, there is a, there, I need to see video. What I need, I need more evidence here, right? We have a very short clip that only captures Tepper launching a drink at a fan. Now, I have no idea whether that was completely unprovoked. And if it is, that's pretty bad from Tepper. That's, that's bad billionaire. Yeah, very that's bad, bad billionaire. billionaire. That's Dan Schneider billionaire. In fact, it's worse than Dan Schneider billionaire. I never saw him do that. Um, but there is also a world where, more video evidence emerges and that fan like was hurling horrific things at David Tepper all game and if that happened there's a level of provocation to which I would say good work David you do you you prove to that man he's not safe there just because he's outside of your booth you know you show him so I need to see more video is what I'm saying here to be conclusive on either end I'm not willing to say to condemn the man just because he threw a drink because I think there are times where that's a call that's called for. First, um, Twitter Twitter does a good job now of like you finish your tweets and it's like here's your top suggested tweets. That's how things go viral, right? One of the funniest responses I heard was if a me when a billionaire throws a drink in my face and it shows like Paul Pierce of the Celtics getting 
carried off the court like, mm. and they're, like in the wheelchair yeah, yeah. and everything like that would be yeah that water in the face like broke my knee you yeah. know dislocated kneecap i'm out right so I, um, mike florio was was talking about this was like that's a very easy lawsuit to file and a very rich guy at the yeah. other end of it to settle. like i would maybe I would that was the intention that's well done yeah invoke the uh the water toss mm-hmm. and then for risk of derailing the podcast here do you want to hear as a former professional athlete yeah i've been on the the inside right when people from the outside oh, the are, abuse are taunting yeah yes do you want to hear some of the taunts that i've sure dealt with through the years um in triple a with the uh, the iowa cubs there was a man and his son probably nine ten years old and uh they would call me they called me big goofy <laughs> And the, the, the father was very proud of teaching his 10-year-old to call me yeah. Big Goofy. So the 10-year-old was yelling this at me. Right. They would just go, Big Goofy! Mm. Big now, Goofy! Now, I would stop short of, of beating up a child, regardless I, of the provocation. I was never provoked. Just I was, to be clear. I was never, I, I was never like, had the urge to go right. into the crowd. But just to be clear, but I you chuckled. Know. When I'm, when I'm aligning myself with Team Ron Artest and Eric Cantona, I would... I would limit that to adults. Yeah. I, I'm just going to say, I think it is, it's a hilarious thing that a wall separates the fans and the players, and the fans can just say whatever they want. Yeah. And I get, like, I get it, but it's like, it's just, it's like, it's kind of weird. But they say so, it's like, like, if we were just walking on the streets, you probably wouldn't say that exactly. to me. Exactly. That's the thing. It's like, we pretend this world that, that because there's a fence that separates you and me, you know you are safe and that you can say whatever you want and that the the rules the rules of the street steve the rules of the street no longer apply yeah. if if we were out alone on the streets you would not be hurling that abuse at somebody because there's a pretty high chance they would react and you would get smacked in the mouth i'm just saying that level of decorum should still exist in a stadium and it doesn't my computer may have frozen which is gonna throw a wrench in some of this it's also, by the way, it is entirely plausible that David Tepper is just that crazy and there was no provocation whatsoever. I mean, this is a man that allegedly, remember, after a game earlier this season, just walked out of the locker room screaming, you know, screaming fuck. And, like, reporters were like, oh, look, there's David Tepper crazed with anger. And that was what led to Frank Reich being fired, you know what I mean? So he might just be that nuts and that petulant and that childish. I have two more quick uh harassments that I received while I'm restarting Perfect. my frozen yes. computer. What do you got? Um, in uh, Quebec, played in Quebec, Can- Canadian American League Finals in 2000. Were they hurling French at you? Um, so was, they, they had a really hot crowd, really good crowd up there. But they're, but they're uh, it's a hockey, you know, it's a hockey town. But they loved their Quebec uh, capitales. So we're playing in the finals there. And, they're, you know, they all speak French, of course. Yeah. So one guy, it was like he didn't really know how to um, – you know, talk trash in uh, in English. Oh, okay. So he called me a cheap shot pitcher with his uh, with his accent. He's like, "You're a cheap shot pitcher" or something like that. It was was his, that's not great trash that talk. And uh, I was like, "That's kind of like you're you're a hockey fan. You don't know. You just don't know how to trash talk." So he yeah. called me a cheap shot pitcher. Um, and then there was a guy in Arizona, Reno. Uh, no, sorry, Reno, Nevada. Real drunk guy. He thought I looked like Oats from Holland Oats. Okay. So he just kept yelling Oats. <laughs> From the bullpen. And right. he would just, he'd just be drinking the whole time, while running around the stadium, just yelling oats, and then he eventually got beat, uh, uh, kicked out of the stadium. Oh, that's not, not great really cool. trash talk either. No. But I, I had to deal with all this stuff. Big Goofy's pretty good, but yeah. the other one's not I can't so believe much. he had his 10-year-old doing that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's the Jags game. Yeah. I'm, uh, 
loading up here. The whole thing froze. Yeah. Yeah. What's the next game we should discuss? Well, you could do the San Francisco-Washington one because that has no notes from either of us. So you're not losing. Oh, that's losing, perfect. You're not losing anything the from heck not was having the finals. Notes. 27 to 10. 27 to 10. 49ers clinch the number one seed. 12 to 12 and four. Niners. Commanders fall to four and 12. We thought that Jacoby Brissett was getting the start, but since we recorded our preview show, he picked up a hamstring injury. Sam Howell got the start, and it also just didn't go well. Every time I looked up, because again, it's 10 games going on at the same time here in the 1 o'clock window. Every time I looked up, Sam Howell seemed to be throwing, uh, well, at least in the second half, late over the middle Mm. and got picked off a couple times. Yeah, Jacoby Brissett pulled a hamstring getting up off the bench. And, and obviously Sam Howell comes in, and you thought, well, this could be a little redemption story for Sam Howell. Nah, not so much. Uh, they kept it tight for a while, and then Sam Howell had a really bad red zone interception, and that pretty much... <laughs> I, I can't say it, it sealed the game because it was still close to that stage, but that was it. Like From that point on, Washington never had a shot, uh, and they were not able to claw back, and Howell did not improve his performance from or, you know the, the, the thing that got him benched. He wasn't able to have like a, ah, just not too soon or, you know, don't do anything hasty there, uh, Ron. No, Sam Howell was just bad again. So Howell's probably played himself out of the, at least out of a starting spot in the NFL. Um, the 49ers are still the 49ers despite getting beat down by the Ravens. And actually, this is the type of game where if it says anything, it it's a reminder that what Baltimore did to San Francisco was really difficult and, you know, should should be a... If anyone gets more credit out of this game, it's Baltimore. I mean, it was uh, my one note is Washington hanging tough. I mean, it was yeah, 13 to 10 while. at the half. It was 10 to 10. So you've got that. We Between us, we have the game in a nutshell. You've got Washington hanging tough, and then I've got Sam Howell with a bad red zone interception. Between those two things, that was the game. That's what led to 27 to 10. Yeah. Brock Purdy with a really nice uh, throwback yeah. to Brandon Ayuk for a 17-yard touchdown. Um, you know, I, I think if you're a, a Niners fan, you might wonder – are there any ill effects coming off the Ravens game? It's a real disappointment. This was like, you know, again, it was like a slow start for San Francisco, given that Washington had a depleted secondary, how bad their defense had been generally anyway, and the fact that they're not playing for anything. But the Niners, eventually, they took care of business. They ran the ball pretty effectively. Purdy had one of his, I mean, it's just, we don't even blink now, 22 of 28 for 230, two touchdowns. I mean, that's like classic Purdy, efficient game. Uh, Ayuk. Samuel and uh, Kittle all getting theirs, and yeah, it's a good game. Yeah, I mean, by the we, Niners to bounce back from the Sunday night, the Monday night right. disappointment, and then particularly for Brock Purdy, who I think is probably the only player that that really matters for. You know, Purdy had a very bad game on that against Baltimore, and whether or not he deserved to be there in the first place, pretty much ended his MVP case in that game. For him to bounce back and have a very clean performance, not put the ball in harm's way, had that touchdown to Ayuk, as he said, which was classic, kind of Brock Purdy ad-libbing late in the play, and just generally put together a really good performance that looked more like Brock Purdy again, it was probably important for him. You hear these stories of everybody sort of saying, going out of their way to kind of, you know, G him back up and say, hey, don't don't lose faith, keep slinging it all. I mean, they do that for a reason. Like, they need him. They can't. Yeah. However, whatever the debate is about how important he is relative to Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle, Shanahan, Debo, all that kind of thing. The point is they need him playing and they need him playing at his best for them to have any sort of shot. So this game to prove that, hey, one bad outing isn't going to ruin him was important. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll wrap this up. I want to wrap the game up with that. I mean, 
the Brock Purdy story because we get so caught up in MVP and who deserves credit and okay is Brock Purdy the single most valuable player in the NFL okay let's say let's say no doesn't matter I mean the fact that he has played this well just you know a little over one season's worth of games into his career as a seventh round pick we just we just saw Sam Howell go from showing promise to just completely fallen off in the last five or six weeks that's what young quarterbacks can do the other thing about young quarterbacks is the league can catch on to you right that the the reason why it's so difficult to have success in the NFL is because the NFL like the defensive guys get paid too they're trying to stop you they're trying to attack your weaknesses so the flash in the pan stuff there's a lot of flash in the pan you know six week you know good stretches 10 week good stretches being able to adjust to the adjustments to the adjustments to the adjustments like that's the NFL so you always have to worry about that with a young quarterback so from that through that lens Brock Purdy bouncing back from a disappointing game and just being you know Staying, staying the course basically and looking like the same guy every single week I think is important for the Niners and that part of the story because we're so focused on who deserves credit and is he the MVP I think we're losing focus on the fact that he has been second best quarterback Shanahan's had since Matt Ryan's MVP caliber season and maintaining that consistency is huge for the Niners so they clinched the number one seed they don't have to play for anything next week against the Rams Rams also clinched their playoff spot against the Giants, which we'll talk about. Let's do it right now. Mm-hmm. Rams 26, Giants 25. Rams moved to 9-7, and seven, clinch a playoff spot. Giants moved to 5-11. and 11. Got a little dicey at the end. Man, 94-yard, a 94-yard punt return. Gunnar Olszewski. While the, while the Rams were up 7 and a 94-yard uh, punt return with 349 left, which looks like the Rams might be uh, you know, blowing their season here on the punt return. And then uh, Giants go for two in a failed attempt. We had Tyrod Taylor wide open, Saquon Barkley in the flat. Did he just miss him? Yeah. Just, Easiest pass of the day, missed. Just missed Saquon Barkley. Um, and that wasn't the end of the game. They still had attempts at the end. But Tyrod overall. And a kick attempt. Yeah. Mason missed, Crosby. And then a missed field goal at the end. I mean, the, the Rams did what they could to keep the Giants in this game, but they pull it off 26-25. to 25. Yeah, I was trying to work out whether that was a classic case of Mason Crosby having forgotten how to kick for the 17th time in his career or whether the wind took that one. It was difficult to tell. It's um, a tough kick in there, man. It is, yeah. And it looked like that was online until the wind took it, but it's sometimes difficult to tell whether that's wind or if it's just the way you kick the ball is going to send it like a fade or a draw or whatever in that direction. So that was tough to tell. Yeah, it was a game that sort of felt all the way through like the Rams should ease away at some point and then just didn't. Um, and in fact, kept finding ways to send the Giants back into it, whether it was that punt return uh, from Olszewski. Stafford missed high on a, a play, ends up being an interception. That was right after um, the, 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 the Tyrod Taylor to Darius Slayton deep shot again. That He's had a couple of those every time he started, essentially some really nice uh, passes that have flipped the field. So they get one of those, get a touchdown. Stafford then hits high gives them the ball again, then you get the Olszewski. Like, there were a lot of things that kept breaking the Giants' way just as you were sort of expecting this game to ease away and go in the direction of the Rams. But, like, this is what certainly Tyra Taylor has had the Giants doing this season is hanging tough in these games that shouldn't be close. Oh, yeah. I mean, some some huge plays there. I mean, remember Tyra, the Tyrod's deep ball, I think it was 2015, 
It was one of the best in the league, thrown to Sammy Watkins. That was Sammy Watkins' best season, yeah. if I recall. And then it's always been aesthetically pleasing through watching Tyrod down the field, but he kind of lost the the touch and the feel because his, his actual downfield numbers weren't great for a few years. But the last few weeks, we're seeing you know kind of old school Tyrod throwing the ball down the field. The, this was also the story of this season has been every time somebody is declared an MVP, that guy has a terrible game, right? Richard Sherman took all kinds of crap because he was like, Josh Allen is MVP. Josh Allen doesn't have a good game and goes crazy rugby and, you know, blah, blah, blah. You made a point of saying Matthew Stafford should, MB, should be MVP last I, week. I, you're misquoting me. <laughs> I said a part of the conversation. Matthew Stafford goes out there with a 48 passing grade, no big time throws and three turnover worthy plays in this game. I also, yeah, may have jinxed him there too. He was coming into the game. Uh, remember, this was a battle of the two lowest turnover worthy play percentages yeah. in the NFL among quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. uh, Tyrod only had one, but yeah, Stafford did have three in this game. He had been doing a, a great job of taking care of the ball. I also... So I also this referenced is why Lamar wins MVP by virtue of being the only player this season to not jinx it once he gets labeled MVP. Pretty much. Brock Purdy, Tyreek Hill, uh, Matthew Stafford with you, Josh Allen, like every other quarterback or player that's been talked about as MVP has immediately fallen apart the second that's happened, except Lamar. What I want to know, who would Emmanuel Acho vote for for MVP? I think it would be... Like uh, Tyler Linderbaum or something like that. Well, the Raven, Ravens are the best team. The center for the best team in the league runs the show. Therefore, it's Linderbaum. That's what that's what Acho would say. No, he would find he would find a like who's got he would find like Jalen Hurts or something, right? The narrative is Jalen Hurts is playing badly and he's let them. Oh no, you know, he the wants Eagles to have a bad. serious conversation about Jalen. Oh, he does. Yeah, okay. yeah, serious conversation. Then maybe Goff. You know, the Lions. Joe Flacco. He would vote for Joe Flacco for MVP. You oh, say, yeah. you think comeback player of the year? No, no, no. I say that's, MVP. Yeah, that's a good one. That's yeah, a good one. That's who it is. I also feel like he would be a, a, a voter of omission. You know? He would be like, uh, uh, NFL scoring is down, therefore it's Tom Brady because he retired. And the, the scoring's down in the right. NFL, so Tom Brady's the most valuable player, something like that. You know, the, the, the guy that yeah. didn't play right. is the... Uh, is the MVP. Anyway, that's a waste of time, it Steve. Is. Real big waste of time. Um, so, yeah, this was um, important to just, you know, get the win for the Rams because they, they had the Niners next week, and they didn't know if the Niners were going to be playing for something or what. Um, but the Rams get into the playoffs here, and um, as ugly as it was, to me it's the Rams' offense that is most intriguing. You know, Kyron Williams with three touchdowns again, and when Stafford's not turning the ball over, they are really tough to defend right now. The other guy who deserves a ton of credit on the Rams, Kobe Turner, the rookie defensive tackle these last few weeks. Incredible stretch here. His PFF grade for the season is up to 84.6. That may actually be higher than Jalen Carter now. We were giving Jalen Carter all this love early in the season. You know, ninth overall pick, you know, no-brainer slam dunk. Over the last few weeks, we have Kobe Turner with an 80, 72, 81, and then a 92 grade in this one. He's leading all rookies in sack totals. If you're you know, sacks, if you're into, if you're into that whole thing, um, he's got 11 sacks by PFF numbers, nine by the NFL. If you include negated plays, I think it's officially eight and a half, maybe by the NFL. But 49 pressures, had 11 in this one. Kobe Turner, right next to Aaron Donald, becoming a really good player for the Rams. And it's this stretch since about week 12, where he's been outstanding. Of course, I always say hey, you played the Browns and you played 
the uh, the uh, not the Browns, the uh, the Cardinals and the Giants. It depends on who you play, the Commanders. But impressive performance here by Kobe Turner, who we both loved coming out in the Rams. Maybe got a steal here in the third round in the mm-hmm. draft. Yeah, a, we we speculated coming into this game that it might be a rough one for John Michael Schmitz, the uh, the rookie center, in large part because of Aaron Donald. Without focusing on Kobe Turner, it it was, it was. <laughs> John Michael Schmitz. Eight pressures for a center is is pretty catastrophic, uh, including a sack, and you know the rest of the interior didn't do an awful lot better either. I liked him coming out too. Yeah, that's a miss for me so far. It's okay. It happens. Nobody remembers. No, nobody. All right, let's tell you about our friends over at Prize Picks. I don't have a lineup at the moment, but I'll tell you all about it. It's the largest daily fantasy sports platform in North America. The easiest and most exciting way to play DFS. It's just you against the numbers. So you'll see our lineups here all the time. Well, we pick more, we pick less. It's it's really that easy. And with the lineup, um, Prize Picks is setting what the number is, and you're just going more or less. That's and, it. And Eli is now focusing on um, flex play wins. Yeah. You know, because real wins seem to be difficult to come by. So instead, if you do these as flex plays, you only need to hit. You can miss one effectively, and that's how yeah. his his picks have been going. He's been missing one which is now being termed a flex play win. We'll take it. We'll yeah. take any wins we can get with prize picks. And the, the, the flex wins, it shows the flexibility of prize picks and what you're able to do. So instead of battling thousands of other players, including pros and sharks, you pick more, you pick less on a two to six player stat projection. That's it. Watch the winnings roll in after that like Eli is. Want to play alongside some of prize picks' favorite players like rapper Meek Mill and comedian Andrew Schultz. You can do that in the community plays under the promos tab of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the prize picks community every single week. Prize picks even offers a reboot policy so the entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. So for football and basketball games, if you have a player who gets who exits the game in the first half and does not return in the second half, that player is rebooted and prize picks is the only daily fantasy sports platform with an injury insurance policy. So, you go to prizepicks.com slash PFFNFL, use the code PFFNFL for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, that's prizepicks.com slash PFFNFL, use the code PFFNFL, first deposit match up to $100. Pick more, pick less, it's that easy over at PrizePicks. All right, let's stay in the NFC East. Arizona Cardinals, 35. It's the West and the East. Philadelphia Eagles, 31. Cardinals move to 4 and 12. Eagles fall to 11 and 5. And this game may have blown the NFC East for the Eagles. It was supposed to be a an easy finish to the season for the Eagles after a grind in the middle of this uh, in the middle of the year. They were, they were going to yeah. go Giants, Cardinals, Giants. But the Cardinals go in and just really dominate offensively. Um, it wasn't the entire game because you know, the Eagles got up 21 to 6, very similar to their Giants game on Christmas Day, where they get up early and kind of let the underdog back in. They eventually stamped it out as far as the Giants game goes. They you know, they won in the end, but they made it really close. But, dude, Arizona did not stop in this game. Offensively, they finished with 449 yards, 221 on the ground. Eagles had no answers defensively for the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah, I mean, we were saying you probably weren't going to learn anything about Philadelphia towards the end of the season because of those games they were facing. Now, that, Wrong. Was, that was assuming that they were going <laughs> to win all of those games. Yeah. You do learn something if you can't even manage to beat a team like the Giants or Arizona, which is actually what ended up happening. So, and remember, in this game, or as part of this, like Philadelphia is up big, 
they had a 98-yard interception return for a touchdown. Um, Miscommunication. Kyler Murray kind of chucks it up. Sidney Brown picks it off. And a great return by Sidney Brown. Like an incredible return. He was heading down the sideline. You're like, there's no way he brings this all the way back and makes just a bunch of really nice moves with the ball to ends up getting it in. Yeah, miscommunication with Michael Wilson, but what a return that was. But that's in there for Philadelphia is this crazy game-flipping play where they get a 98-yard touchdown going in the opposite direction, um, and they still couldn't get it done. Yeah, this is – what did we learn about Philadelphia? I mean, their their defense is – Bad. Really bad right now. To the point where they they had Matt Patricia start calling plays a couple weeks ago. That you're telling me that didn't fix it? Did not. (coughs) Don't have him call the offensive plays either. (laughs) Maybe he should call both at the same time. Maybe that's what's missing. Um, I think you may have sent me a message or Ben. Was it Ben? Yeah, Ben said maybe this saved Kyler Murray's you know starting gig with Arizona because we had talked about it through that lens as a Arizona storyline. Kyler Mm -hmm. Murray hadn't played well the last few weeks. This has been his best game. Um, but again, I just don't know how much you blame Philadelphia and just no pass rush, yeah. especially compared to what they had been doing. This is the thing. And the so, back seven has just been a disaster these last few weeks other than a random pick six. Right. The, the, the back seven has been bad. They're banged up. That, that makes m- some sense. But I, I don't know how much of this is, like, which is driving this or they're both happening at the same time. But the pass rush has really dried up for Philadelphia, certainly relative to earlier in the season. Josh Sweat, like, you can draw a line in his season from, like, first half, second half, and it's night and day. He was incredibly productive in the first half, has not been in the second half whatsoever. Uh, Jalen Carter, who looked like Aaron Donald for the first half of the season, still looks pretty good. But, again, you can draw a pretty distinct line from, like, week one to eight for him and it's the same line actually it's Dude, like if you drew a line since the bills game that uh, yeah well, no that i would draw the line after washington first washington game week eight same line for him and for josh sweat two totally different players so who the, the two guys that have been driving that pass rush for philadelphia in the first half of the year have simply not been in the second half and you know it's not universal in that direction like Hassan Reddick has probably been better in the second half of the year than the first but they haven't had the same volume of pressure that they've had that they had earlier in the year and the secondary is worse so now a defense that was already struggling is just hemorrhaging plays Uh, one other note to back that up Jalen Carter like is he's got a couple quick wins that weren't pressures but he had nine pressures in his first game his his NFL debut Jalen Carter right he had nine he has seven in the last five weeks right now since the since the Chiefs game, I believe it is, or Buffalo game. Um, and then, you know, run defense, too. Yeah. I mean, they just could not stop right. Arizona. I mean, Arizona averaged 5.8 yards per attempt between all of their rushes this in this game. That I mean, that was the game. Like, the, Philadelphia could not stop that. When, they, when Arizona needed it right at the end, they were able to put it together That's on the ground and, and pound the ball in. The, the run game was absolutely a huge factor. We've seen the Eagles play this game a couple times this year against the commanders too against four win teams right against the commanders where they they were up and they you know the commanders came back and it's back and forth and again eagles have been playing with fire all season um just from a point differential standpoint you know they didn't feel as dominant as previous seasons we couldn't necessarily put our finger on it offensively the defense wasn't as good as last year but not this level of disaster as they've been the last few weeks the big plays that they've given up are just um as i mentioned 440 plus yards by arizona 
But again, they're up. They go up in the fourth quarter, 28-21. Arizona comes back to tie it. Eagles go up again, 31-28. And they, ha- it's a, they, they have 230 to stop Arizona, yep. right? And, and essentially secure the opportunity to win the NFC East with a win against the Giants next week, right? To just set yourself up from that. And they couldn't do it. James Conner runs in for the game-winning two-yard touchdown. Jalen Hurts, Hail Mary gets picked off to end the game. And that was it, man. And um, the Eagles are looking – here's what's happening. The Eagles are looking at the five seed now and probably going to the NFC South winner, who's likely Tampa Bay. And I know Tampa Bay, we'll talk about them in a second here. They're coming off a tough one against New Orleans where their offense looked atrocious in the first half of the game. But, man, the way Tampa Bay had been playing offensively the last few weeks, if they get Philly coming into town, like they could – they could win that game. We're talking about Tampa being able to beat the Eagles yeah. right now in a playoff game. They played back in week three, and it wasn't even a game because Philly was just a much better team at right. that time. That's definitely a, a potential reality. It's also still good news for Philly in terms of, hey, okay, you just blew the division probably, and now you're looking at a wild card spot. On the other hand, you do get the NFC South team as things stand. So, you know, you should still progress in that game, even though it's one you could lose because you're losing against bad teams right now. Any game, I don't know if any game is yeah is fun for one, the Eagles right now. One element I think that's interesting about Philadelphia is in the last two weeks, I think they have now shown two completely different variants of things they can do off the tush push play, right? So they had just been unstoppable with that all the way through the year, and then they showed the wide pitch play off the back instead. You know, the fake. We're going to fake the push play up the middle, and in fact, we're going to pitch it around the edge, and that's how we're going to get the first down. And then in this game, they faked the the push play up the middle, faked the pitch play, and instead had a had the guy, the pitch player, throw the ball over the top and picked it up that way. So they've now shown two different variants off the back of that push play before the playoffs to just sort of put in defense's minds, hey, if you even think about overplaying the push play up the middle – we are going to punish you in different ways with this. I think that's a, like an interesting thing to put on tape, and I think very deliberate by Philadelphia to just say, we are going to ensure that this play is unstoppable in the postseason. Yeah, I think, I think their offense has been better overall the last few weeks. You know, I mean, they, it's certainly the better side of the ball at the moment. Yeah, it really is. I'm just, I'm so, their linebackers had shown weakness. It started really, for me, the Niners game, but I thought it was just they, they ran into the Niners, who are this juggernaut, right. who attack second level defenders really well but I'm I'm concerned about all the injuries and just you know not great play from Eagles linebackers including like Shaquille Leonard was out there you know I mean they they don't have a whole lot of answers run game or pass game in this one um James Conner with a big game he had the game winning touchdown 26 carries for 128 yards and again Arizona just did whatever they wanted offensively after a, a slow start all right let's talk about Let's talk about that Bucks Saints game. Saints win twenty three to thirteen in Tampa Bay. Saints move to eight and eight. Bucks fall to eight and eight. Um, this was a must win for the Saints, and it was an opportunity for the Bucks to clinch the division in the NFC South. Instead, next week there's still a world where the Saints can beat the Falcons, and if the Bucks lose to the Panthers in Carolina, I believe it's in Carolina, we are looking at the Saints. Sneaking back up to the top of the NFC South. I, you know, obviously the odds are in Tampa Bay's favor to yeah. beat Carolina, but it's week 18. Who the heck knows what's going to happen? But man, the Saints have 
two or three games a year where they look like the 85 Bears. Now, they kind of lost it in the second half because Baker Mayfield just started dropping big-time throws the entire fourth quarter, and the Bucks almost made this a game. It was very close to have being a one-score game with um, an opportunity to come back. But the Saints, uh, really clean game for them and just dominant on the defensive side of the ball in the first half. Yeah, the first half in particular, they absolutely shut down that Bucks offense. And yeah, they so they've at least made it live going into the final game of the season. You would expect given that all they have to do is beat Carolina, Tampa Bay would still win that, take care of business, you know, seal the division uh, with that game. But they blew the opportunity to do it in this game and, and let the Saints back into it. And yeah, 100% it was the Saints' defense making this happen. They really clamped down on that Buccaneers offense, didn't let them go anywhere, and got enough done themselves on the other side of the ball to, to take advantage of that and just put themselves so far into the distance that the Bucs weren't able to come back. They sacked Mayfield twice, but it felt like it was just the way the Saints had played in Tampa Bay the last three or four years, even when Brady was the quarterback. It was, you know, this combination of a pretty good pass rush, collapsing pocket, and just really good job on the back end. They just did a, um, you know, they were showing, I mean, you could see how they were taking away Mike Evans. Um, and this is what I talk about, the ebbs and flows of the NFL and being able to adjust. Mike Evans, that he, he broke free for a 35-yarder early, but that was pretty much it for a while. This yeah. was not, and it wasn't just Marshawn Lattimore back in the day, you know, over the last couple of years locking him down. It was double teaming, passing him off, taking away the, the, the number one option. And Mayfield was just not hitting anything else. Other than that, Saints were coming up, tackling, playing just great defense. Um, Juwan Johnson, on the other side, Juwan Johnson has a big game for the Saints. Incredible catch up the seam. Awesome like catch up. Fingertip grab, somersault to, to keep it intact and make the play. Wildcat, and that's what the Saints did so well. They were backed up on like their own three or four at that point. Carr throws it up the seam. Jawan Johnson makes the catch. As the Bucks showed signs of life in the first half, uh, there was a fumble. I think it was Rashad White fumbles after a nice, uh, you know, catch and run. So every time the Bucks started to get something going, you know, they either give up a big play or the Saints make a big play offensively or force a fumble. So they played a really nice game, New Orleans. And then in the fourth quarter, again, it's it looks like it's just going to be a beatdown. It's twenty to nothing. Um, Baker Mayfield has multiple big time throws down the field. Hits Mike Evans originally, um, and then there's another one where hit Trey Palmer, fifty eight yards, and Palmer stumbles, hits the ground, was never touched, and that becomes a fumble. I hate those you know, plays. so the the Bucks had opportunities to get back into this game. Fifty four yarder to Trey Palmer. Um, had opportunities. They even got a two-point conversion to what would have made it 23-15, to 15, but that one got negated by penalty. They fail on their next two-point attempt, and then that was it, 10-point game, and it was over for the Saints. Mm -hmm. So the NFC South. So it's a disappointing one for Tampa. They don't get to clinch it at home, but they have this opportunity against Carolina. They're going to be heavy favorites again against the Panthers. Now the Panthers, they only beat them by three a few weeks ago in Tampa Bay. Panthers coming off another disaster where they lost 26 to nothing, but we'll see if they can keep it competitive. And then, yeah. the, and then the Saints, like every, every four weeks, I use the phrase, this is the team we expected the Saints to be. And that's it. Yeah. This is it. We had that one sort of sign of life from the, the Panthers offense and, and Bryce Young. And if they don't get that in the game, <laughs> it feels like there's, there's not really any shot of them winning. Yeah. 
Um, like Bryce Young's basically had a series of games where he's passed for 150 yards, and then that one game against the Packers where he put up 300 and looked like Bryce Young. I mean, the one thing I'll say, like the home road deal, um, they beat Atlanta at home in the rainstorm. I know it was only it was nine to seven. They put up 33 against or 30 against Green Bay at home. Their last few home games, their last couple home games, they've been way more competitive. It's only two. Mm. Maybe they'll feed off the uh, David Tepper energy. Maybe he was rallying the troops. Maybe it to was play a spoiler next. Yeah, week. it's a, it's an us against the world siege mentality. That's yeah. what he's doing. He's playing chess when everyone else is playing checkers. Uh, again, I, I don't I don't know how to if you're the Saints. They've now won three out of four. It was against the Panthers, the Giants. They win this one. How do you bottle up them playing like that in the first half? I mean, they're again flying into the second half, really into the fourth quarter, flying around and making plays. We've seen that a lot from Dennis Allen's defenses through the years, but just I mean, not consistently enough. And, and same thing from an offensive standpoint, not consistently enough from the Saints this season. But ironically, the Saints are probably going to end up exactly where they were supposed to be this season. Like if they beat Atlanta, they finish the season nine and eight, which you would have said. I mean, that if which is which should be good enough to win the division. Yeah, well, it just hasn't been right. So heading into the season, you would be like, okay, the Saints are going to be the worst division winner. They're going to do just enough to win the NFC South because everyone else is going to stink, and they'll finish with like a nine and eight record, and that'll get them in. Well, they're going to finish potentially with a nine and eight record, and it just it just so happens that it isn't enough to get them in because Baker Mayfield there on his four million dollar contract has actually played better than everybody expected him to, and the Bucks have been slightly better than the Saints over the course of the year. But this was kind of what the Saints signed up for, which was mediocrity. But assuming mediocrity would be good enough to win this division, and it hasn't been. And I think that's probably the reality of their situation. All right, so that's next week. We got the two NFC South teams playing each other, or the four NFC South teams playing each other with the division on the line. The Falcons actually can still win the division as well. They're not technically eliminated but they're seven and nine it sounds like um it sounds like arthur smith is going to keep his job heading into next year oh i didn't hear that yeah really so the reports this week have been both arthur smith and matt eberflus are going to still be in their respective jobs next year let's talk about it bears 37 falcons 17 in a in a snowstorm flurry yeah it's a flurry yeah i loved it it was beautiful i mean the bears playing in flurries that's what football's all about playing in flurries. i mean that was like that was my first takeaway from any of the one o'clock games i picture ooh snow bears football games in a snow flurry mm. it was beautiful and it, justin fields big time throws left and right through the snow it's beautiful yeah it was a good game by Chicago. I mean, this was an impressive performance by them. DJ Moore was spectacular in the game, uh, their best player, I think. But this was one of the better fields games you, you're going to get as well. Um, and in in both areas, which is the most important thing, it wasn't just like there was a play in there where Fields escapes the grasp and you know makes plays with his legs, and those are the plays he's been making all the time. But he also had five big-time throws in there. Like, he had a bunch of really nice passing plays, completed over 60% of his passes, 8.4 yards per attempt. This was the game from a passing point of view that you would say, like, this is a game to hang your hat on. Now, I mean, we're reaching this point now where 
Fields is playing himself into that job next year, just the way he did at the back end of last season. And again, Chicago is going to talk themselves into starting him again what going forward. What do you do with this? What do you do with it? I don't know. I mean, this this shows the Fields' potential. I mean, he— But it also, by the way, this weekend, so in a, in a game where they played well, Fields won, everything looked good, they also secured the number one overall pick because Carolina lost. Yes, so that is locked in for the second straight year. So it is 100% now a decision that they are going to have to make as opposed to just a theoretical one. The the thing about Fields here, you know, many of his big-time throws throughout his career have just been the, the lofted, beautiful deep ball. He's got a nice deep ball. And the intermediate level has not been great. But in this one, I mean, just like the, his first touchdown to DJ Moore, it's, it's seven yards in the box score. Perfect. But it's, it's in the back of the end zone. It's really 16 air yards, legitimately. And it's just unbelievable placement. I mean, those were the types of throws that I thought we'd see, we'd see a bit more of that from Fields in his career. Then he's got, same thing, a dig route, kind of an open window, but just helmet high, perfect, right in stride for another uh, beautiful throw. So it wasn't just the um, you know, rain ball deep passes from Fields in this one. It was that intermediate level where at Ohio State it looked like he was super accurate, hasn't been at the NFL level. But, man, if he puts that all together, it's one game. But if he puts that all together, like these are, these are the conversations Chicago's having because having, we know what he can do with his legs, but you start adding this element to it, and now you've got you know, potentially an incredible starter in fields. Yeah, that, the touchdown to DJ Moore, was uh, that was a real play where – you know, I mean, look, there's a danger in doing this, right? Remember there was that famous article, like the 10 plays to convince Bill O'Brien that Brock Osweiler was the guy, you know? You can find plays for any quarterback in the history of the world that make him look like he can be Joe Montana, and they probably can't if they can't do it for more than 10 plays. So there's a danger in this type of analysis, but this was a play that would make you believe in Justin Fields as a quarterback. They run this um, kind of corner route from the slot, DJ Moore, Jesse Bates is the safety. So it's not like he's going up against, you know, wide receiver versus safety is a mismatch. On the other hand, the safety is Jesse Bates and he's pretty good at being able to undercut stuff and pick it off. Jesse Bates plays it about as well as you can play it. He's in position to undercut it. And the only way that ball gets in is by putting it um, over his head. But it's also... Like, he can't just loft it there. It's not like he can just hit a rainbow to the pylon. He has to drive it in there with some pretty good velocity. He's on the far hash, so it's a, it's not a short throw either. And late in the play, just before he puts the ball in the air, Calais Campbell is driving the left tackle back into his face. So in a split second, he's got to A, accurately place the ball, B, get it there with enough juice that it can't be picked off by Jesse Bates and go back the other way for 105 yards, and C, do it with his own left tackle flashing in front of his face because Calais Campbell is driving him back there. I mean, that is a big boy quarterback passing play by Justin Fields. It's just that he needs to do that more often. In week 17, in a snow flurry at home while the bears are trending in the right direction they got seven wins now they're seven and nine you know the whole season we're like oh man those feisty falcons they're tough they got a great defense now they have the same record look at the bears and fields it is the best year of his career grade wise uh best passing grade of his career again we i think we know what he can do running the ball can he get the pass game can he throw the ball effectively enough to, to balance what he can do with his legs. And, you know, the Bears are going to have 
some decisions here, man. It's an the, insane turnaround trade down from Chicago. Hall. I mean, their defense is playing a lot better as well. They like, really are. Yeah. They, they were quite deep into the season on track for the number one and number two overall picks. And since that point, basically, they've now won four of the last five. They've won five of the last seven. They're playing pretty well. And it isn't just Justin Fields, though that's obviously, you know, the most obvious change in this team is Tyson Bajan goes back to the bench. Justin Fields comes back. Justin Fields plays better now that he's back. But that defense is playing a lot better. Um, earlier in the year, it was basically just Jalen Johnson playing well. They were corner. horrendous early in the year. Yeah. And now they're getting solid contributions from all over the place. Yeah, I think with um, – the start. <clears throat> yeah, there, Bears – lot to be excited about, I'd say. Um, whether it's fields or not, they'll have some decisions. Um, they've, they've added a ton to the, to the team the last couple of years, and they're starting to play well late in the year. That's a good way to go into the offseason. Um, but great game by Justin Fields. Not a great game by Taylor Heineke on the other side. Um, the Eagle, I'm sorry, the Falcons had a kick six opportunity before the half. They're down 14 and just fall short. Yeah, that was like the one play that probably could have got them back in. He made in it. it all the way. He got, like he, they, Chicago tries a long field goal just before the half, uh, up 21 7. It falls short. Alford starts returning it and goes in this mazy, weaving run ends up getting all the way through everybody on the field and then like trips himself up at like the 15 yard line instead of scoring it looked like he'd done it i mean arthur smith was celebrating on the sideline that would have made that uh what 21 14 and going into halftime made it a real close game and he ends up tripping up just short all right man we got more games to get to i think that's the end of the one o'clock so we get all the fours so many games there's a lot of games some were not as interesting as others no, good. We should go quicker on some of those. Mm. Again, we repeat ourselves. But first, got to tell you about our friends over at AG1. That's how I kick off my day every single day. AG1, get my nutrients with my coffee. That's how I like it. And that's uh, what's good for my body. It's what's good for my mind. It's what's good for my energy. Drinking AG1 every single morning to kick things off. All great athletes, they have one thing in common. They take care of their bodies. And a huge part of that starts with is, is about optimizing whole body health. So they drink AG1 as well. That's why I'm a huge fan. With every single daily serving, we're setting ourselves up with, for success with 75 high-quality ingredients that give us the key daily nutrients to support energy, focus, strength, and clarity. It's this micro-habit that delivers macro benefits and helps just about everybody take great care of their health every single day. Also love that it costs less than $3 a day. Pretty good, if you ask me. This really effective daily habit with high-quality sourced ingredients, that's a win-win for everybody here on the PFF NFL podcast. So get the nutrition that you need with AG1. If this comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. So you go to drinkag1.com slash PFF. That's drinkag, the number one, dot com slash PFF. Go check it out right now. Let's go to the four o'clock game, Sam. Okay. Where are they? <laughs> Let's just get this out of the way. Denver Broncos 16. Ah. Chargers 9. This could be the second fewest notes. It is my second fewest Of notes. any game. Yeah. You sent me. What did you say? What happened in this game? I said Lil Jordan, Lil Jordan Humphrey happened. Mm. Every now and again, Lil Jordan just looks like a baller. Lil Jordan Humphrey being a better player for the Denver Broncos than Jerry Judy. There's something just injustice about that. It shouldn't be the case, and yet it is. Will Jordan with a 54-yard touchdown, the only touchdown in this football game. And uh, like I said, every now and again, he's just like this unstoppable force. 
as a receiver. Mm. Great play for the 54-yarder. That was it from Jarrett Stidham. Stidham got the start for Russell Wilson, of course. And the win. In the win. Got a, in a pretty clean game. Vindicated. For Stidham. Um, I know. Not a good one, but yeah. What's that? Not a good one, but reasonably clean. Reasonably clean. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably not. I mean, like, you wouldn't say from a, like, remember, <laughs> this was dressed up as a football decision. Yeah, Jarrett Stidham gives us the best chance of winning. Russell Wilson doesn't. It's got nothing to do with the $37 million that becomes guaranteed if he gets hurt in the last couple of games. Uh, I meant to say clean stat line. Yeah. With one. So from a from a football point of view, you wouldn't be looking at this and saying, well, we definitely got it right. We upgraded a quarterback. He's been better. I mean, Stidham was probably worse in this game than Russell Wilson has been in most games this season. Yeah. I mean, we did hear from Russ this week. He was pretty candid about what happened yeah i mean that's the bigger story this both teams are eliminated from the playoffs broncos are eight and eight chargers are five and eleven uh easton sticks played a little bit better these last few weeks the offense just they're just so beat up alex erickson's getting all the all the targets he had seven catches for 98 yards quentin johnston still not you know taking that next step to be excited about him for next year if you're the chargers i mean he was matched up with patrick peterson for a lot of this game and it's like that just felt Sorry, yeah, Patrick Sertan. And it's like that just felt mean, you know. He's already struggling <laughs> without putting him on one of the best corners in the NFL who's also quite physically capable of, you know, bringing to the table whatever he can uh, – whatever physical attributes he has to try to help him. You're like, I mean, that you don't need to do that. You know what I mean? You could have left the other guy on Quentin Johnson and it still would have been okay. Now it just feels like you're rubbing it in. Um, so, yeah, the, the thing I want to say, Russell Wilson basically – rehashed them asking him to change his contract and he said well no can't do that i'm going to go to the nfl and the nfl pa and say let's not do that so that was back in october when they had one or two wins oh no he said it was after they beat kansas city and yeah you heard, he, you hear russ being like man i was hoping we were going to go on a little run and turn things around we just beat the chiefs and they were talking about him changing his contract so they could bench him. Yeah, they basically tried to strong arm him into dropping the clause in his contract that gives him the $37 million guaranteed if he gets hurt. Um, and essentially threatened, they tried, they blackmailed him and said, if you don't drop that, you'll be benched because we don't want that. We're going to go in a different direction in the offseason and we don't want to pay you that $37 million. So if you want to stay in this job, you've got to drop that clause in your contract. Uh, I have no idea how those rules exactly work, but from the way the NFLPA reacted, it sounds like that's not allowed. Uh, whether or not it's allowed, it certainly seems like a fairly cheap way of negotiating. Um, and it would be interesting to know now from Denver's perspective or from Sean Payton's perspective, effectively, like when they decided the Russell Wilson thing, like was this predetermined before this year? Like had he looked at Russell Wilson last year and said, not a chance, like this is never going to work. Or did they give him a shot and decide quite early, you know what? Whether or not he plays well, don't like the guy. Not going to be my guy, you know? Or did he just say, okay, this is as good as I can make it happen and it's still not good enough. We're going, like, where along the way did Sean Payton decide? I'd love to know that. Russ is, at, I'm, Russ is not my guy. I don't care yeah. how much it's going to cost us. We're moving on in the offseason. I would love to know that too because it could have been, I saw the film last year. We, we can't do it, to your right. point. But based off Sean Payton's comments that Nathaniel Hackett had the worst coaching job in history, there was mm -hmm. probably... He probably went into training camp with optimism. Yeah. Now, was it day one of training camp? <laughs> He's like, it's oh, also, this is going to work. It's not necessarily just a football thing, right? It's like Russell Wilson is this, you know, cornball that 
is sort of talked about as he's a very unusual personality, right? So it could just be, regardless of how well he can make it work on the field, Sean Payton is like, I cannot do this with this guy, right? I, I can't, no, I cannot work with a dude that wants to exercise and do jumping jacks on the plane on the way home from London. I can't make that happen. So we're going to go in a different direction. I do know Sean Payton now. What are the stat? What was he without his starting quarterback? It was good in you and before Denver. When Breeze was injured in 2020, he was like five and zero, six and zero. Teddy Bridgewater in 2021, he had was it Jameis Winston initially, and then bounced around with you know all sorts of different guys and kept winning games. He wins a game here with Jared Stidham. You can make the argument that Sean Payton's offense has Russell Wilson's stats right. looking pretty good: twenty six touchdowns, eight picks, and passer rating and all that stuff. Like, there's still probably some good stuff coming from. Sean Payton, through that lens, I'm just I'm fascinated to see what they're going to do. Well, that's the thing. At QB going forward, though. They're in a similar it, – it, it's a similar dynamic, and they're in a similar situation to the Raiders when they decided, okay, we're out on Derek Carr. We're going to bench him to avoid his money. Bring Jared Stidham guaranteed. in. Bring Jared Stidham in as the, uh, the grim reaper of veteran quarterbacks. <laughs> and then we're going to go in a different direction. And, okay, that makes sense. And it made more sense for the Raiders than it does for Denver to a degree. But – you're in kind of the same problem, which is, okay, now what's the plan, right? And Denver's in a really tough spot for that because, number one, their record isn't terrible. So they're not sitting there. Like, they're not looking at Chicago's spot and going, oh, we're, we're good. We got the number one pick and we got another one later on. Denver does not have the draft picks to just immediately select the next guy. And they got a ton of money tied up in Russell Wilson's contract, even if they're moving on from him. So they can't do the other thing, which is make a big splash you know, for a quarterback trade, whatever. I don't know where they're getting the next guy from. Well, after the way Michael Penix played last night, 24 years old with bad knees. multiple ACL knees and the whole deal, he still might be in the top 15 now. Penix and Jaden Daniels, we might be looking at five QBs in the top 15 if the NFL loves Bo Nix. So that could, that yeah. could be part of it. I mean, it. Denver is currently picking 14 overall. And they're tie that they're the first, say, they, second of the eight and eight teams at that spot. So they might seriously be in the mix for Jaden Daniels, Bo Nix, or Michael Penix for right. next year. We'll have plenty of time to discuss that. That's it for this one. Sixteen to nine. I got no more use. No more use for this game. Pittsburgh Steelers thirty. Seattle Seahawks twenty three. The Steelers move to nine and seven. Mike Tomlin, not a loser again for the seventeenth straight year. Certified. Certified non losing season. The Seahawks fall to eight and eight. Real disappointment. For Seattle as they're battling for a playoff spot here but um, Pittsburgh in their running game again Najee Harris goes 27 for 122 Jalen Warren goes 13 for 75 three touchdowns combined between those two guys and look I know PFF grades gets you know, through the narrative and the whole thing right in week one Mason Rudolph and this offense looked completely different in uh, against Cincinnati with Rudolph and it may not have been throw for throw all Mason Rudolph you know with the 90-yard touchdown, 86-yard touchdown to Pickens after the catch. But in this one, Rudolph played really well. And for the second straight week, we're talking about the Pittsburgh Steelers offense scoring over 30 points. We haven't talked about that since the 90s, man. So um, Steelers win, and they're playing for their playoff lives next week. Yeah, the, the pioneer the Mason-Rudolph magic does work post-Christmas. Still the Christmas season, you know. Throw your analysis out the window. Until you get to <laughs> January the 6th. Till, yeah, till next week. 
January the 6th is when you're supposed to wrap it all up and get all the tree. You know, I did away. my tree. I took my tree down yesterday. Christmas is. Ours is done as well, yeah. We, we procrastinated quite a bit. And, the, uh, uh, the Schwartzes, Jeff of the Jeffrey variety. I saw Jeff. What do you have? They do this thing every year where the tree like gets tossed to the curb at like midnight on Christmas. Like that feels over the top. It's too much. Yeah. Yeah, I saw Jeff talking about he, like, his wife was out of town and she was like, get that tree out of here. Yeah. And he did it. I actually, you know, because the year I had to go home, I went, or sorry, I went back to Boston for Christmas. I got rid of the tree on like the 23rd, threw it out on the sidewalk. <laughs> so I had my, my tree was out on the sidewalk gone because my, my wife was like, I want that thing down before yeah. I get back. So I was like, oh, I got to do that on the 23rd then. That so must I took have been. my tree down on the 23rd. It was out on the sidewalk and people must have been like, I was going to say. The neighbors must have had some interesting theories about what was happening there. You know, yeah. that's a family that's broken up before Christmas, <laughs> right? Fun holiday season over there. <laughs> Christmas, you know, trees sitting on the sidewalk. Anyway, Rudolph still had it, mm-hmm. and um, man, big game for for the Steelers, and just did did whatever they wanted offensively. In yeah, the well, they spent like the most, like almost the entirety of the first quarter was basically the Steelers driving the ball slowly and methodically down the field and, and eventually getting a, a touchdown out of it, I think. Um, yeah, they their offense was much better. They This was another game where running the ball was huge for them. I mean, Najee Harris had a monster day. Remember, we're a few weeks removed from being like, dude, if you can't see that giant hole opening up to your left, what are we even doing here? Najee Harris had a great game. Jalen Warren chipped in. Like, this was the... This was the ground game that I imagine Pittsburgh would have been envisaging heading into the season. Najee with 30, you know, 27 attempts, 122 yards, four and a half yards per pop, uh, two, y- two touchdowns, should have had a third, but, you know, did that thing where he hit the ground late rather than score to, to properly ice the game. So did the smart thing rather than taking an extra touchdown at the end of the game. And then Jalen Warren chips in with 13 carries, averaging 5.8 yards per attempt, has a, a touchdown himself. I mean, this ground game was a dominant effort in addition to Mason Rudolph doing a reasonable job passing and certainly not screwing it up. This was also one of those games when you look at it, um, <coughs> it's easy to say, well, the rushing historically rushing yards depend on run blocking and the whole thing. Mm-hmm. In this particular game, you could say you, you would hear, hey, the Steelers dominated up front. It was all the offensive line. This was the running backs, man. Yeah. seventeen. They forced 17 missed tackles between the two of them, Najee Harris and Jalen Warren. This wasn't... Each one of them averaged over four yards per carry after contact. Yes. Najee Harris stiff-armed to hell on uh, Reek Woolen. That was beautiful. 17 broken tackles as a duo is insane. Yes. So, that's, um, so that's what I'm saying. So from like... A, it wasn't Pittsburgh just moving people at the line of scrimmage. It was Warren and Harris. And, and like you said, like Harris had been slumping and a lot of the years st- lose, should have been losing carries to yeah. Jalen Warren, but he stepped up, man. And the longest carry between the two of them was 23 yards. They each had a 23-yarder. But it's not like, you know, sometimes you see, you see these run games or these stat lines where there's an 85-yarder in there. So it's not, it's not quite as dominant as it looks or it's not as consistently dominant as it looks. Whereas this, the longest carry in that 45-attempt haul was a 23-yarder. So it's just every time they had the ball, they were, you know, they were generating four and a half yards per attempt at which point it's very difficult to get an offense off the field. Um, and then another huge game for George Pickens. And, you know, I, I can't remember which show I said this, but a lot of times the the good receivers, the good tight ends can um, help induce some of the big-time throws out of quarterbacks. I think 
Mason Rudolph's, I, I think his weakness as an NFL starter has been conservatism, has been just, you know, checking down and not taking chances down the field. George Pickens, when he's on, man, he leads you to be a little bit more aggressive. And this is where Rudolph was more aggressive throwing the ball down the field and throwing some dimes down the field to Pickens. They only threw the ball to four players in this game. It's wild. Like, they effectively had three targets in the past game and then the check down player. So George Pickens had, like, fully half of the targets that Mason Rudolph put in the air. And then Deontay Johnson was the next guy. And then Pat Fryermuth was number three. And then if they had to check down, Jalen Warren got a target. That was it. That was the yeah. entire passing game. I, I don't think I've seen a passing game that's been that bare bones where only four guys are going to see the ball this day. That's it. Nobody else. The, so Mason Rudolph, he has a 34-yarder to Pickens early in the fourth quarter. And, dude, like remember scouting Mason Rudolph? He, I had so many you know, conflicting views on Rudolph. He would throw these passes that looked like lasers coming out of his hand, and then other times it would just be, yeah, why is it so soft coming out of his hand? Why, why is he losing velocity here? And then again, in the NFL, he was coming out of the Big 12 where he would throw the ball down the field a ton. James Washington, they, they're a great connection in the Big 12, and he just wouldn't do it all that often at the NFL level. This pass that he threw in the fourth quarter, double clutching in a tight pocket, basically flat-footed, and puts it out there. Pickens just drops his head and sprints to a spot. It was an outstanding connection. Whatever the connection is right now between Rudolph and Pickens, it's cooking, and it's a different offense, man. I mean, so they're going to they're gonna play the Ravens next week, presumably against rested starters with the playoffs on the line. And I'm not saying – I don't know if Pittsburgh does any damage as a seven seed against uh, Miami or Kansas City or whatever it ends up being, but I don't know. This is a, it's a completely different team right now in two weeks with Rudolph at the helm here. And for the second week in a row, this like patched up secondary they have didn't really cost them. I mean, they gave up some yards, they gave up some points, but you know, like there's a, like Patrick Peterson has a bad play in there on a, a playing safety in the end zone where he, he like plays the goal line and then doesn't back up and it turns out there's quite a lot of space behind the goal line that's still in the end zone and gives up a <laughs> touchdown. Usually um, 10 yards or so. But again, like you, you look at the players that they are starting on the back seven at the moment, and it should not be viable. It should, like it should be giving up 40 every game, and it's not. Like somehow they are patching this thing together. Starters in this game, Patrick Peterson at free safety, Eric Rowe at strong safety, Levi Wallace is still starting at corner, Miles Jack was playing, Mark Robinson played at linebacker and started at linebacker. Like this is not a back seven that should be functioning and somehow it is and then you know where the Steelers did win up front their pass rush was great this was you know TJ Watt didn't have a sack Sam so he obviously wasn't that good uh but no he kept winning right and then he had a Miles Garrett game do you tell Steelers fans uh, no but he, I mean this is the game that Miles Garrett usually has where he has a ton of pressure a really nice grade but he actually doesn't get home with a sack and there's usually one play in there where you're like, ah, you probably should have actually had that one. Well, T.J. Watt had that. He had six pressures. He had a really nice grade. He had no sacks. And he had at least one play where he should have had a, a sack. And the guy, Gino, managed to juke him out of it. And he didn't get home. Like, that's, that's the game that Steelers fans think Miles Garrett has every week. So it was Nick Herbig, though. That's, he helped seal the deal. 27-20 to 20 in the fourth quarter. He only had two pass rushes, the rookie only had two pass rushes one of them though strip sack of geno smith so it was nick herbig making the big play he stole tj's play he stole tj watt's play 
um, because he had the one-on-one because of T.J. Watt. T.J. Watt's still awesome, by the way, Steelers fans. We got you. Um, but Herbig had the huge play to to get the strip sack. The only time they sacked Geno Smith, and that was essentially what – because Geno had a lot of big plays too, man. And, it, like, the Steelers' defense, they were giving up some plays. Mm. Geno Smith was making some some nice – tight window throws great touchdown to jackson smith and jigba into a tight window in the nf uh, in the end zone herbig shut down the comeback attempt that gave the steelers the opportunity to score go up two scores instead of just the one touchdown there so they were up 30 to 20 um steelers um, seahawks drove back down kicked a field goal to make it 30 to 23 but that was it and uh steelers clinched the win big upset in seattle to keep their playoff hopes alive yeah, not an easy place to go when you need the the win. So impressive by them. So Seattle is still alive uh, at 8-8. Eight and eight. And again, like I said, Pittsburgh, they need some help, I believe, next week. Again, we'll go through all the scenarios on Thursday. Scenario show. Can't wait. For week 18 this Thursday. Oh, we forgot to tell people to go vote for us still. Keep oh, doing yeah. That. Is everybody here? Is everybody Hopefully. here? Hopefully. We're only two and a half we hours We have 1,400 people watching live. Well, there you go. That's 1,400 votes. Go vote. Votes. There's a link. Go vote for uh, Best American Football Podcast, please. Yeah. It's for us. It's yeah. a it's a community award. It's for all of us here. It's for you. It's your award. It's your award. We'll we'll give it we'll we won't send anything out, but you know, like we'll share it. We'll <laughs> we'll put the award up That's here. That's a lot of free accounts. We're gonna hang a banner either way. I'm just gonna be oh, honest. Absolutely. We're gonna have a banner. We're a finalist. We'll have a banner for that. But I want the banner to say winner. Yeah. I want to I want the, I want it to say best. There is a link in the description of the show. It's the first link on YouTube. It'll be there in the audio version as well. Or it's my pinned tweet at PFF underscore Sam. You can go and vote for us to win the best American football podcast in the sports podcast awards. And we would very much like to win that. Yeah, if you're on a phone, if you could go to a desktop, it's probably easier. It's rough on the phone. Yeah. It is very easy on I the haven't desktop, checked though. if they fixed it lately, but I can go back and try it. But on the desktop, so if you're watching on YouTube, you get the desktop, or you're near a desktop, just just go do it real quick. Yeah. Give us that vote. We appreciate it. Oh, um, yeah. They, they, the, the chat is suggesting various things we could do in order to solicit votes. So you need to do the Carlton dance if we win. Oh, the Carlton dance Fresh if we Prince. win? Oh, yeah. yeah. People were begging for that earlier when I mentioned my... Uh, Fresh Prince. And he uh, says, I can do the Irish dance I did years ago. I don't remember doing an Irish dance. Maybe it was the TikTok video where I was Jackson Mahomes. That could have been construed as that. You must have some. Either way, I can give a shot at the Irish dancing that I can't do. What the hell? Sure. We'll We're willing anything. to debase ourselves in any way. Big do Goofy is not above anything. <laughs> we'll do anything. In order to, in order to, win, to get your vote. To get your vote. We need your vote right now. Go that kid's it, probably please. in his twenties now, heckling fans, uh, players worse than ever, <laughs> because he was nine years old calling me <laughs> big, goofy was doing in Iowa big goofy. Game. I'm sure there's a lot worse you could get. Could be. All right, two more games. Uh, Kansas City Chiefs 25, Bengals 17. Chiefs move to 10 and six. Bengals fall to eight and eight. Bengals fall out of the playoff picture. In this one, uh, Bengals had control early. It's a similar game to the Raiders. I think Romo even highlighted that. It was 17 to seven. Cincinnati after a Patrick Mahomes strip sack. Bengals uh, really long drives. It was another one of those games where the Chiefs opponent seemed to be controlling the ball. And, you know, you never know if Mahomes is actually going to get back on the field, have an opportunity. But the Chiefs defense, man, after they, they get down 17 to 7, Chiefs defense just shut it down after that. Um, and then the Chiefs offense, Isaiah Pacheco with a huge game, mm-hmm. creating big plays as a runner. And then offensively, the passing attack, they actually stretched the field, maybe for the first time in weeks, a 41-yarder 
to Justin Watson, a 67-yarder to Rasheed Rice. Uh, better downfield passing production than we've seen from the Chiefs in years, actually. Um, and it was just those two passes, but that was a big difference in this game. Yeah. Uh, early in the game, like Jake Browning was making it work with his legs. So he I was. Think, I think the Chiefs' defense was playing well pretty much all the way through the game, but Browning kept finding a first down on third down with his legs and was extending the drive. And I think that was a big part, actually, of how they, they got up. Uh, like Jake Browning played pretty well, but so much of it was done on the ground um and then yeah I said, this was another game where for some reason the run game was king this week like multiple games where the running attack was a big part of it isaiah pacheco was huge in getting the chiefs back both on the ground but he also um you know made a couple of plays uh, as a receiver as well so huge game from pacheco and i don't know if I don't know if they sort of reacted to the game that Mahomes had last time, finally having a bad game of trying to lean on something else, but Pacheco certainly stepped up. I had, I was going to suggest maybe, I, I wonder if Kansas City was going to lean on the run game more. And leaning on the run game for them, like it, I don't I know that they're ever going to have a game where it's like 30 carries from their running backs and 25 dropbacks from Patrick Mahomes. Um, but I did wonder if they were going to go more heavy two tight end sets or you know, try to run the ball a little bit more. And again, it wasn't even it wasn't even that they ran the ball a ton. They just did it really, really well against the Cincinnati defense that's just they, they've been struggling, man. They've been struggling these last few weeks, especially against the run without DJ Reader. Yeah. Um, and some of those big plays that were given up, like the Rasheed Rice sixty seven yarder, it was a nice play by Rice and nice pass by Mahomes. That's a it was a straight coverage bust. It was wide open. There was a couple of those by the Bengals. So I think part of this was Chiefs offense feeling better against a bad Bengals defense. They still didn't put a ton of points on the board. They got stopped and had to, you know Harrison Butker is some kind of record man. He's he kicked the last eight. He had the last eighteen points of the game, whatever it was, <laughs> all on field goals. <laughs> One, two, three, yeah. The last six score uh, scores of the game were Harrison Butker field goals. That was some kind of record. Nice. Um, so yeah, I mean that it still wasn't the old school Kansas City offense, but. A lot more big plays. I just wonder how much of that was Cincinnati. Next week, the Chargers. We'll see how much they play their starters, the Chiefs. But uh, definitely better than what we saw on Christmas Day against the Raiders. Yeah. Um, Kansas City's pass rush was pretty big in this game. Um, I, I don't know how much of it was – like, obviously, the Bengals' offensive line, therefore, struggled relatively. But I think a lot of it was Jake Browning holding onto the ball and age um, and making it look worse than it maybe was. But – they certainly Kansas City was winning that matchup anyway, and then I think it got made to look a lot worse because of the way Jake Browning was holding onto the ball, which to a degree he needed to do. Yeah, this was because this was a game where I think they, you know, Jamar Chase was you know talking trash before the game and the whole thing, and it, they did a nice job taking Jamar Chase out of it. And by the end of the game, it was like Browning just needs to give those guys an opportunity to make plays. Like you said, early in the, early in the game, Browning. Why did he have to use his legs? Because Kansas City's defense has just been so good mm. at taking away easy throws with Spags, especially this year. You know, last year they did some of that too. But it's just been high level. And they, they took that stuff away, but Browning would scramble, create plays. He, um, he had a Mahomesian type of play where he scrambled and drew the defender and threw it behind him. I mean, Jake Browning creating out of structure, he was doing it awesome early. But after that, yeah, Kansas City cracked down. And it felt like Browning did need to start – taking a few chances especially in the comeback attempt but that got shut down Chiefs defense um, has really kept them in every single game this year 
Yeah, the uh, the Chiefs Twitter account, I think, was tweeting this out. But um, Legereus Need now has been targeted 81 times this season. No touchdowns allowed. Um, giving up a passer rating of 55.9 into his coverage this season allowing just under 52% of the passes thrown his way to be complete, and they're only going for less than 10 yards per catch. Like, Legereus Need is playing pretty insanely and has, a, has had a couple of spectacular games in recent weeks against good receivers. He seems to step it up when he's facing the best players. Like, his best games of the season, grade-wise, are against Philadelphia, Buffalo, and now he's just coming off this game against, um, against Cincinnati. I think he had a good game against the Raiders, but he got penalized for a penalty, but he did a good job of shutting down Devontae Adams as well. So Snead has been playing incredibly well. Um, and, yeah, I think the combination Snead, you know, what they're what they're able to do with their corners and Spags. 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 Colin blitzes it. Like he he has that feel for when to, when to heat up opposing quarterbacks, when to sit back, how to mix it up, when, you know, Chris Jones, quick wins up front that are just going to – that's going to work when you don't – when you're not blitzing – they're feeling it right now. I think Kansas City's defense, and and that's what gives them a chance. Yeah, you know? another um, like the development. I think of George Karloftis has been pretty important. Yep, he played all of the snaps last year and got because of that got quite a lot of pressure. Like he ended up with eight sacks, I think, uh, almost fifty pressures, including the, the playoffs. And but it's like he he never won. <laughs> it was all clean up or pursuit or late in the down. Like he never actually had a clean win. It was just he was always on the field, so he was going to stumble into quite a lot of pressure. And he is like a hustle player. He will get a lot of pressure just by keeping going. You're like long enough, you give him long enough, he'll get there. It might take a week and a half, but he will eventually <laughs> get the pressure. Um, it's not that he's become great this year, but he has taken a step forward from last year. So now he's already exceeded all of his numbers from last year, including the postseason run. Uh, he has more pressures. He's got more sacks. He's got a better pass rushing grade. He is winning now. So even if, like, the majority probably, I haven't checked the, the distribution, but, like, the majority of his plays are still of the kind of hustle, late in the down, clean up variety. He is winning on his own now, and sometimes those are important plays. But the point being, just that jump from, like, body that will get some cleanup pressures to actual, you know, complementary piece that can rush the passer in his own right is a pretty significant step for this defense. And that might all, with how quick, like, because, again, I don't know, Chris Jones doesn't have 19 sacks or whatever like he did last year, but he still creates quick pressure. Right. And so that combination of having at least one guy win often and when they both win, that's when you see the collapsing pockets and, inability to do anything offensively from a pass game perspective because they're not getting anything remember they they drafted um fau felix uh and a dk Ozoma in the the first first round um and he hasn't been a factor for them even though he looked like a guy that could potentially make an early impact like they need george karloftis to take that step in order to have that complimentary pass rusher to chris jones um, one other thing i wanted to highlight was uh marcos valdez scantling you know, been a, a hot button issue for the Chiefs with all of, you know the drops and near misses and the whole thing. He has three targets in this game. They're all a bit of a story to me. Um, first one, they're they're taking their deep threat, who's not really great after the catch, put him into the backfield, doing the uh, you know motion him into the backfield and giving him a you know a little uh, swing screen in space for three yards. It felt like it was like let's give him the easiest catch ever and just kind of get his confidence up. <laughs> 
And so they did it. I, and I think that was, it was designed. It was all, it was in the script. It was like, I mean, it was one of the first 15 plays, I believe. Um, and then it's a third and three. He comes open, wide open on a drag route underneath. And Mahomes gets him as he's, Mahomes under pressure, puts it on him. On the back hip, though. And he drops it. Hmm. And Valdez Scantling starts gesturing. You put it on the wrong hip to Mahomes. Your fault. Should have caught it. And well, yeah. I mean, it was. It was on the back hip instead of the front hip. But, I mean, it's, it's a drop. Should have caught it. But then, as I always say, the most valuable thing a receiver can do is to win one-on-one down the field. And he does that. And, and Mahomes just missed him. Um, Mahomes came back and hit a deep ball right after that. But as, as the Chiefs started to stretch the field in the second half, Valdez Scantling has a step or two on um, – is it Turner? That was uh, – doesn't matter. Usually DJ Turner. It's usually DJ. <laughs> a step or two. And this is like – I still think there's this world where Valdez Scantling – like you can't drop 80% of the downfield passes. Mm. You could drop 50% or 40%, but not 80%. Valdez Scantling has a deep play in him. It might be in the playoffs. So I'm just saying, he is running away from the defender. He's still capable of doing that. I, again, I think it's the most valuable thing a receiver can do. Mahomes missed him on this one. And if you know he puts it on him, there's at least a 50-50 chance he catches it. At least a 50-50 At least a 50-50 chance he catches it. So <laughs> just something to keep an eye There's still big plays to be had there with Valdez Scantling. I don't think it's a total loss, but the Chiefs were trying to get him involved. It didn't work in this game. Got to keep working at it. Rasheed Rice, though, I still look. he's still looking like a star. Isaiah Pacheco um, had a big game. Kelsey, he's been in and out this year, but again, I think he's still capable. I think the Chiefs have the pieces. If this defense plays the way they've played, it's still the Chiefs going into the playoffs. Yeah, you can see sort of how fragile they are, though, mentally. Oh, for sure. Like, the, I, th- I think it was a, the, the Marquez Valdez-Scantling, um, the, the drop. Like, as soon as that happened, like, Kelsey's going over there to him on the sideline, like, talking him up, and you're like – what have you got left to say at this point? <laughs> like you've been doing this literally since week one. Now, okay, it's been to different people every week sometimes, so it's not like it's one guy all the way through. But like, how do you keep? What is your motivational message at this point? Like, come on, guys, we can pull it together now. Maybe I just I I I didn't see what he was saying, but I I would like to have heard the audio of that message. I mean, it looked like things were falling apart for the Chiefs, right? They're down 10, and Valdez-Scantling's dropping it. They keep settling for field goals. But, the, again, the defense shut down Browning in that passing attack. They couldn't do much after the first half. Yeah. Got no more use for this game. Let's go Sunday night football. Green Bay Packers 33, Minnesota Vikings 10. Packers moved to 8-8. Eight and eight. Vikings fall to 7-9. and nine. It was Jaron Hall getting the start for the Vikings. Not a great second start for Jaron Hall here he goes five for 10 for 67 yards but sacked three times for 28 yards had a pick in there as well and then on the other side Jordan Love does it again looking like Brett Favre Aaron Rodgers Bart Starr little Josh Allen on his touchdown run Jordan Love doing it all in this game yeah great Jordan Love performance for the third or fourth time this season where he's looked like a totally different player than like most of the year um he has these games where it just clicks and he's able to put, I think he has four or five games with like an 80 plus uh, adjusted completion rate percentage, you know? And then his average outside of that is like 60 something. It, it's wild. He just hits a zone where everything is there. Um, and this is one of the great things, like this, the unexplained 
keys to football. We all think, we all focus on the X's and O's, the preparation, the, all these things. And, and so much of the game is there are some times where players just click immediately and they're in, they're in that zone. They're in, the, they're in that flow state that everybody tries to tap into. And they're a different player for the rest of that game. And maybe it'll only last for that game. But for this game, everything you thought you knew about that player no longer applies because they're in a different area. And that Jordan Love seems to be really interesting in terms of a player that falls into that quite a lot. He was basically perfect in this game, did very little wrong. And that side of the ball, I think, was probably the more interesting side, even though we're going to talk about the Jaron Hall decision and all that kind of stuff. But for the last couple of weeks, two and a half, I guess, if you count the back end of the Bengals game, but it's like teams found the answers to the Brian Flores defense right as we started talking it up. Um, it's true. Ben Johnson, the Lions offense, they had answers to that Brian Flores riddle and the pre-snap looks and all those kinds of things. The Packers, I mean, they had nothing but answers, no matter what Flores tried to do to them in this game, uh, whether it was send pressure, don't send pressure, fake it, drop it, whatever. They just had somewhere to go with the ball. And not just that, but there was coverage bus everywhere on the back end of that Vikings defense, which is probably a factor in why the defense has collapsed a little bit. Like, you know, there are players starting on the back end there that, that wouldn't be starting if they had their choice in it. But uh, complete coverage bus all over the place. Like, they, <laughs> Green Bay finally gets a 100-yard receiver, and it's Bo Melton, of all people. Um, but... Yeah, like Jordan Love was spectacular, and the Vikings' defense, like the code had been cracked. They didn't have any kind of solution. To add some color to your Jordan Love analysis here, uh, adjusting completion percentage first eight weeks of the season, because we you know, use arbitrary cutoffs to tell a story here. Yeah. 66% ranks 35th out of about 36. Yeah, not good. Um, since week nine, He's now 77% adjusted completion percentage. It's just a simple way of saying, let's give credit for drops, mm. clear drops. 77% tied for seventh in the NFL. And while he's been doing that, um, average depth of targets down a little bit. Remember, they were chucking it down the field a ton early in the season. That's a factor. But this is coinciding with 19 touchdowns, three picks, uh, 22 big-time throws. Uh, is it the highest? Uh, one of the highest big-time throw percentages in the league during that time. One of the lowest turnover-worthy play percentages yeah. in the league during that time. Um, and also in this arbitrary cutoff, the highest-graded quarterbacks, he's third with a 90-grade. I mean, it is um, – I think when, when, Josh Lo- uh, when Josh Allen first figured it out, I thought he was one of the streakiest QBs in the NFL, and I think he still is. Like when Josh Allen's in that zone that you're talking about, it is unbelievable because he's doing everything at an extremely high level. Um, Love has elements of that, man. I mean, like four out of the last six weeks, Thanksgiving, uh, Sunday night against the Chiefs, this game, Sunday night against the the Vikings, everything he's doing, whether he's throwing off balance, whether he was throwing, remember that pass that he made to Christian Watson in the back of the end zone against Kansas City on Sunday night football? Mm -hmm. Unbelievable, the high-end play from Jordan Love. And now my question is going to be the same question I had from – for for Josh Allen is like the consistency aspect of it. You don't need to play at this level every week, but the fact that he has this yeah. high-end play is incredible for the Packers. Now I want to see that consistency. Um, and I know all the comparisons to Rodgers and Rodgers' first year starting and love and the stats are almost identical and they're actually leaning toward love right now. 
that doesn't necessarily mean that tra- the trajectory is going to be the same as Rodgers because Rodgers looked like a Hall of Famer, not year one, but year two in 09. It was like, all right, now he's there and was in the Super Bowl by 2010. So it doesn't mean that's what's gonna is what's gonna happen, but the high end that Jordan Love brings to the table is so impressive, and night and day compared to what we saw earlier in the season. Yeah, I mean this was spectacular. Like even the first Vikings game, like they they'd already played Flores' defense before, which right. is probably a, a fairly significant part of this change. But the first game, he completed fifty eight and a half percent of his passes at five point six yards per attempt. This game, it was seventy two point seven percent and 7.8 yards per attempt and then you factor in you know the touchdowns three this game versus one in the first game uh it was a totally different performance they just had answers every time the vikings tried anything green bay had an easy answer for it there's a play there um where somebody is like look at this spectacular jordan love play it looks like mahomes he's dropping back you know dropping vertically to sort of invite the pressure like buy some more time come on come on you're not going to get there boom pass over the top and it's like yeah, I mean, that's a really nice play. It is quite Mahomesian, but also look what he's throwing to. Like, at the back end of that play, there isn't a Viking within 10 yards of, I think, Bo Melton was one of those passes to him. Yeah. It's like there isn't a Minnesota defender within 10 yards of this guy when the ball arrives. Like, it was a good Jordan Love play. On the other hand, the margin for error on the back end of that play was huge because of the Vikings collapse. And, you know, there could have been more. Like, he... He put a ball on Bo Melton earlier that Melton doesn't come up with that probably should have. I mean, it was it asked a lot of him, but you know, was enough was was asked enough that you would expect a receiver to maybe come down with that. That was another what fifty yards that could have been added onto his stat sheet if he comes up with that. Just spectacular from Jordan Love from the Packers offense, and you know, maybe Flores' defense has finally sort of run out of road in terms of you can only deceive teams so long. I'd like to spend some time in the offseason, not so much now when we've got six minutes left on the show, but yeah. going back to the Packers' decision on Jordan Love, where at the time it was like they, they looked like a Super Bowl-caliber team. They had the number one seed in 2019, and Rodgers needed playmakers. Who's going to compliment Devontae Adams? Because I, don't, I still don't know if you can go back and say, okay, well, now that we know Jordan Love's good, definitively a good decision, because did they leave something on the table? They, Rodgers still won two, two more MVPs. <clears throat> they had a number one seed, didn't win a Super Bowl out of it. We can discuss that balance because you, you we generally say draft all the quarterbacks you want, always draft the quarterbacks. And very rarely do you get to see a quarterback sit for three years and start year four. Very rarely do you get to do that. Is that a worthwhile decision if he hits at the end of year four? So this offseason can revisit that again. But, uh, you know, I, they highlighted it on the broadcast too. It's not just love; it's the entire play, all the playmakers. We've talked about this a ton on the show this year. The entire offense coming together, Jaden Reed and all the youngsters, right, and what they have to build upon. Very exciting times for the Packers. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, and the other thing, it was it's two decisions on Jordan Love, not just the one. Essentially, like number one, the decision, which wasn't even a Jordan Love decision, but more of a okay, now is the time to sever ties with Aaron Rodgers. Like, we're the same call, I think, that they made with Brett Favre. It was less about Rodgers as it was about Favre, which is like, we're just sick of this now. Now is the time, right? You, We're not going to do this yearly dance where we decide if Brett Favre is going to retire or show up to training camp again. Now's enough. We're going to go with Aaron Rodgers. And they effectively did the same thing this year, which is to say, look, we're done with you messing around with the retreat and all that kind of crap. Like, 
now is the year. See ya. Uh, we're going to go with Jordan Love. And then the decision with Jordan Love, which is what do you do with that contract? Because we're towards the end of it already. Rodgers says hang around for that long. And they did this weird halfway house extension thing rather than, you know, play any of the, the sort of standard ways of doing it. So, yeah, the Jordan Love thing is interesting. But, yeah, they did a good job on the broadcast of pointing out repeatedly just how young this team is. And we've been saying that all season long. And they're without, even in this game, they're without a lot of their best players. Yeah. I mean, Christian Watson was still on the sideline in this game. And, you know, Bo Melton has the big game. Dontavian Wicks wasn't playing in this game either, right? So, like, arguably their two best receivers in the in the year weren't playing in this game. And Luke Musgrave wasn't playing either. And that's opened up this incredible opportunity for Tucker Craft, who, honestly, the development of him between, like, training camp and now has been wild. But you add all of that together, and if this team makes the postseason with this incredibly young group of playmakers, with an offensive line that's good, and with all these guys with, with the potential to get even better, A, as they develop still week to week, and B, getting back some of their best players... I mean, the Packers are not they're not a team to be taken lightly at the moment. Packers currently the number seven seed at eight and eight. The Seahawks and Saints are also eight and eight. Um, so yeah, they can get in the playoffs. And we've said this the last few weeks. The high end Packers team looks really good. Yeah. Now the defense has been terrible. Except um, this that's game. what we've talked about. I know, but that's what we've talked about more the last few weeks is how bad the Packers defense is, how they've made opposing quarterbacks look great. Not the case in this one. Jaron Hall. And then Nick Mullins, uh, they could not get anything going with Hall. They kind of, you know, he kind of missed a throw, gets tipped up. It's a, I use the word unlucky for an interception, as in, I don't think the, I don't think the punishment fit the crime. The crime was little miscommunication on the play. The punishment was interception should should be an incompletion, right? Um, that hurt for Hall, and then the Packers just attacked the Vikings' protection, and Hall didn't have answers for that. That was the three sacks. They went with Nick Mullins in the second half, and uh, you were calling for Nick Mullins a little bit earlier I know I mean just like I think they made the wrong call going into the game like remember <laughs> I think I think Kevin O'Connell had essentially reached the point of literally I don't know what to do with quarterback I've got Nick Mullins who just had a seven turnover worthy play game including the worst interception I've ever seen uh previous to that Josh Dobbs had had a nice little run and then couldn't move the ball so I've got, on the one hand, a guy that literally can't move it. On the other hand, a guy that can't spend more than three passes without throwing it to the defense. Or I've got this rookie fifth-round pick who led, like, one good drive before getting concussed before. I have no clue who to pick at quarterback. He ends up going with Jaron Hall, who maybe with, like, in Kevin O'Connell's defense, given the kind of performance that uh, Joe Barry's defense had had in recent weeks, you would say, okay, that makes sense. It's a pretty nice one to give him a start for. But for some reason, uh, Joe Barry chose this week to dial up all of the good stuff, right? <laughs> and against that, I think Hall was the worst of the three to have that start. You know, I Dial think, up the good stuff and also facing late-round rookie right. just had no But I, I think he know? was the least equipped of the three to be able to deal with a good performance from this defense, which for some reason they were able to dial up on New Year's Eve. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like, it's not like they took advantage of, you know, bad starting offensive linemen or whatever. Like, the Vikings had players that they that have done reasonably well this season, and the Packers just took them apart. And you look at the pressure stats, like Nick Mullins was under pressure – 54% of the time when he came in. Uh, Jaron Hall was under pressure 64% of the time. 
as a quarterback. And 43% of the time was him getting blitzed. But when you like, on the one hand, you've got Brian Flores' defense, which has done an amazing job all season long. They had, the Packers had answers to everything they threw at them. On the flip side, you've got Joey Barry's defense, which has been getting gashed by every team they've come up against recently. The Vikings had no answers for anything that that defense was doing. And consequently, their offense ground to an absolute halt while the Packers put up a, a bunch of points. I wonder if TJ Hawkinson is missed. I mean, he's certainly missed in right. this offense. That's a big, a big factor for the Vikings. But yeah, the, the QB carousel, not ideal for Minnesota. They'll go into the offseason without Kirk Cousins under contract and a lot of decisions to be made. Maybe a top 12 pick after Mike... Uh, Saw a lot of people last night watching Michael Penix throwing lasers around the field saying, boy, give him Justin Jefferson and Hawkinson and Addison and these dudes. I mean, they very well might be in the mix for a QB right at the top 12 to 14 picks in the NFL. Vikings still technically alive in the playoff picture. They're going to play at Detroit next week. And then the Packers playing the Bears in one of the more fascinating games of the week next week. They'll be in the 425 window, but Bears at Packers. Bears, both teams... Well, Bears are hot. Packers are mostly hot offensively. Still have questions about the defense, but playing for their playoff lives next week against Chicago, who the Packers historically own, as we know. Mm. Aaron Rodgers passed it off. Ownership to Jordan Love. Passed it, yeah, passed it down. With the, uh, uh... Aaron Rodgers, better owner than David Tepper. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers passes off the Bears. David Tepper throws water in people's faces. Mm. Presumably water. Maybe. I doubt it, right? What are you drink? You wouldn't be drinking water out of a, a solo cup thing. It's vodka. Could be anything. It's like a vodka soda. I doubt soda. it was. Water just feels like a very unlikely liquid to be in a drink that you would be consuming during a football game. I from, know this, a, from a cup, not a bottle. I know this is your favorite pastime, but you're going to tell me what David Tepper has in his cup. I'm not going to tell you what he has. I'm telling you what he probably doesn't have. Okay. I'm not. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have the temerity to speculate on if what would be in there. If it's not water, that changes the lawsuit I by would, millions. <laughs> I would simply be analyzing what's not likely to be in there. I, why would you? Why would you take the water out of the out of the bottle to put in your solo cup? Nobody because does you, that. As a, Everyone drinks water from the bottle. Who decants their bottle of plastic water into a plastic? Not if you cup. have those nice. Uh, sometimes you have those uh, keep them cold type of cups. That wasn't. It was just a. It was like a solo cup. It was like a plastic solo cup. If, as a billionaire owner, you know you would not want to be seen drinking straight from an Aquafina bottle or whatever. You know that it's going to be Fiji. It is Fiji for sure. Yeah, but you get it, box. nobody who who decants the Fiji water into a plastic cup. What's well, survey? That's never happened billion, in the history of the world. For the billionaires listening, nobody has ever done that. Do ever you drink your Fiji straight from the bottle, or would you throw it into a solo cup? Let us know in the mentions. If you were going to take only it if you're out a billionaire, bottle, do not comment if you're not a billionaire. No, no. If you're going to take it out of the bottle, it would be in some form of superior receptacle, of which I don't believe a plastic cup qualifies. That was a lot. That was a lot of fun. This show, a lot of fun in this show. Anyway, the NFC North. There's some some big games next week to keep an eye on. I uh, can't wait for that. So that was fun, reviewing all the action. So rest of the week here, um, I'm going to miss tomorrow. We'll have somebody replace me. Oh, yeah? At a big meeting. i got to run a meeting. Okay. i got to do, do my other job. Um, but I'll be back here Thursday, previewing all the Week 18 action. Against my will. 18. Against your will. This is stupid. Oh, Week 18. Week 18. This yeah. is nonsense, is what it is. 
It's not for the health. It's not for anybody's health. My health's not good. I get less sleep. Brock Purdy, do you see now? Oh, you do see because I told you this, but is now the all-time single-season leading passer. Congratulations. And did it within the 17-week schedule. Those so. count. Yes. If you are trying to break a counting stat record, time's up. Better be in. Brock Purdy, <laughs> Niners record. No more records count. No records count starting for Going <laughs> forward here. Don't care what happens. Everybody previewing week 18, talking about records. Nope. Time's done. If you are talking about counting stat records and you're not bringing context to the table that there's only been three years of this 17-game schedule, I'm going to punch you in the face. <laughs> I won't. But. All right, let's get out of here. Big Goofy's going to get angry. All right, guys. Uh, you'll be here tomorrow. I'll be back on Thursday. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll see you again soon for more PFF NFL Podcast.